a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. All right, Zero Limits listeners, on today's Zero Limits podcast, I am in a hotel room in Sydney for work, and one of the guys, or as you know, you know, part of my real life outside of podcasts, I work within the security industry. Uh, one of the guys I'm with, he actually a few of the guys I'm with are more than qualified, and I asked a couple of them to come on the podcast, and I've I've wrangled one in. Now his nickname is Argo Man. There's a, there's a bit of a backstory behind it. <laughs> <laughs> when we're in South America, he was uh, he was seen passing out waters, and he did a good job. And I renamed him Argo Man. Uh, but it's a bit of more of an in story than anything. <laughs> His name is Dustin Watts, aka Dusty. He spent twelve years in the New Zealand police, uh, eight years as a GD, general duties, is what we call it here in Australia, and then spent four years in the STG uh, special task group, special tactics group, special tactics group. That's the one yeah. <laughs> close. <laughs> and during that time, four years as a breacher. However, during that time. <laughs> He um, gave a mongrel mob member a one-two. Check, check the mic. He had, a, he had his main mic and he had a backup mic, and he gave them both. And he was stood down for a year, which um, at the end of it, basically, they're just like, oh, it is an internal thing. So we'll, we'll talk about it down the track anyway. But uh, Dusty, mate, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, mate. Good to be here. Yeah, mate. It's uh, <laughs> on tour. Yeah, you know, obviously. We met through this tour and become pretty good friends. Um, obviously, with the Anzac connection as well. You, Kazi, you, you're probably one of the first New Zealanders or Kiwis that it's not a scaffolder, <laughs> <laughs> but you're a security guard. So, so that goes hand in hand, I suppose. 
Um, but yeah, we become pretty close, and you know, as I said, I wanted to get you on the podcast because I think you've got a hell of a story. Obviously, not to mention your personal security side of things. You know, you've travelled the world with the rich and famous, multiple around the world, China, everywhere. Uh, more than recently with System of the Down, and you, obviously you're pretty good friends with them as well, uh, which is which is pretty wild. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, yeah, it's been a long road when you think about it. Sometimes, uh, yeah, you wake up and you're trying to understand, uh, you know, how'd you get here? But um, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. When you th- when you think of it that way, yeah. I look at you know, f- you know, for what we're doing now, we like, holy shit, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty pretty cool, and obviously the people you've worked with over the years is pretty extensive and wild. But, mates, before we crack on with the whole security life, police life, let's get back to your younger days, mate. Well, younger, younger Dusty, mate, obviously. Uh, I'll throw some photos up. Dusty's a bit of a – he's a big boy, six foot five. Oh, four. Six four, 117 kilos we weighed the other day, and he's got it um, – He's all smashed up. His ears are all smashed up from rugby. That's right. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll, let's let's talk about the younger days, mate. Growing up, where'd you grow up in uh, NZ? So I grew up on the Hawkes Bay in New Zealand, and uh, went to school in a little town called Napier. And yeah, pretty much uh, went to school to eat my lunch and play play rugby, chase chicks. Yeah, well, that's kind of become that came later. But um, you know, it was all about rugby. You know, growing up at my school. Yeah right. How, like uh, I know I've, I've been to Napier before. How big is it? How big was it? And what, what years are we talking? What decade? So are we talking? high school years were sort of eighty five to eighty nine. Um, uh, Napier population is probably about sixty thousand. Um, there's a sister city down the road called Hastings, which has a similar population. So you know, combination of two makes a decent size. Yeah right. So small, small, um, smallish town. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because I kind of reference um, New Zealand off the movie Boy. Yeah, right. <laughs> you egg. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, Chardonnay, you want to see some Michael Justin dance moves? <laughs> Mate, um, how, how did you go to school? Were you like academically sound or? Oh, you know, um, not particularly. I mean, I did okay. In fact, you know, listening to a few of your previous podcast um, guests, there seems to be a real theme there, I reckon. Um, um, where people that go on to do what we do don't typically seem to be, you know, scholars by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I was all right. I I, I got through and, you know, I could have gone to uni, uni perhaps, um, but it was never on my radar. Um, but yeah, again, I was just all about playing code in those days. Uh, yeah, right. So during this time, you're playing a lot of rugby as well. Is this inside school, outside school? Uh, I mean, yeah, at school, obviously, and then you know, I, I guess I showed a little bit of promise and started to make some rep sides, and and that became certainly a, a path that I wanted to take. Um, yeah. And what what about your parents, mate? What were they doing? Um. So yeah, my parents separated when I was pretty young. I was raised by my dad, um, which you know, um, was interesting. Um, but. I had the influence of both sets of grandparents, which was, you know, awesome. And um, one of them had a farm. So I was raised on a farm a lot of the time as well, which was pretty special, you know. Yeah. Growing up farm. And, oh, sorry, just back to siblings. Any? I got two older brothers um, and um, one actually joined the army in New Zealand. Oh, and, did he? Yeah, and he was there for 35 years. Oh, shit. Just recently got out. And, and my oldest brother 
um, was a saturation diver. He lives in Thailand, and a, a younger adopted sister. Um, also got a half brother and uh, and a step brother as well. And how'd you all go? Like, what was the age difference between? Um, oh, sort of, you know, a year to two, a year and a half to two oh, years so between us. Yeah, yeah. So you, you you and the older boys pretty much hung out and just did boy shit. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, yeah it was um, you know, pretty, pretty uh, you know, typical household with you know competitions and boxing and that kind of stuff. Back to I guess you know. You know, you spoke about your brother joining the military. Any military history, police history within your family? Yeah, my grandfather fought um, in North Africa and then Italy. Oh, shit. Yeah. Man, so, yeah, yeah. So um, he was uh, in the tank division. Uh, received a bravery award, apparently. Um, and, you know, he was, he was a really strong influence in my, in my upbringing, you know. Never, did, never said much about it. Yeah. As, as was typical. Did you understand growing up what, it, you know, what he did? Uh, I don't know, basic understanding, yeah. Because yeah. they were teaching it in school back then. You're right. Not anymore. So yeah, 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 yeah. Teach all different things these days. I read a great book, actually, um, um, written by the Australian Peter Fitzsimmons. He's a bitterly, um, you know, well-versed uh, war historian called the Brook, all about that, that campaign in North Africa, uh, you know, versus Rommel. Um, you know, it was it was... Really impressive, actually. When did you read that? Oh, a, a few years ago. Oh, yeah, you? yeah. Yeah, right. I also read that book about um, Charles Upham, who's a mm. double VC winner from New Zealand. Yeah. Or recipient, I should say. Yeah. Um, that was pretty impressive. That should be compulsory reading. Yeah. If, you know, should be. Again, mate, they read different things these days, different worlds. Yeah. Um, so, so just to... Just, uh, Talk about the years. You, what year did you finish school? So eighty nine finished school. Um, eighty nine finished school. Yeah. What did you do for the next I, couple of years? Well, um, I did all those menial primary industry jobs that make you realise that's not what you, what you want to do for the rest of your life. You know, pressing wool bales, planting pine trees in the mountains. Um, Still playing rugby. Playing rugby, yeah. But just did all those shit jobs, you know that. You know, um, just to, yeah, just till you try and figure out what getting you're home at do. four in the morning. And did then, your brother join the army? He joined the army from school. So, in fact, both brothers joined the army initially. Oh, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but one lasted longer than the other. Yeah. Um, but I, le- yeah, I left school, did all those shit jobs, but was just focused on playing rugby, and then started to make some some rep teams. Yeah, right. After so, that, because you know you got you you got to the high level of rugby. Yeah. Um. Uh. Ninety two. I played for New Zealand under twenty ones. In fact, we toured Australia at the time. Um. Played a few games over here, and and um. I was playing for Hawke's Bay, which is our provincial side, and then made the New Zealand Colts the year after as well, 93. Uh, but I, I actually got a lot of injuries really early, and um, a lot of knee injuries, which plagued me to, mm. to the end of my career, really. You're in, were you a big boy back then? Yeah. Yeah. I was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Just lit up, uh, leaner. Leaner and fitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but, times have changed, mate. Yeah, haven't they, John? <laughs> Yeah right. So, in regards to rugby, did you see, did you think your career was going to end up going playing, you know, more professional? Oh, that was always my plan, of course. Plan, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I made the first Hurricane squad, which was the first um, professional rugby league back in '96. Made the first Hurricane squad, but um, couldn't pass the initial fitness, fitness test things after um, doing my ACL the previous season. So, oh, did you? Yeah, got oh. cut from the squad, which was devastating. 
came back into the squad the following year to replace another guy. Um, but yeah, I did play the game. My injuries just took me toll. Fucking hell. And so it was that point I thought, should I better get a real job? Yeah. And I, I uh, signed up for the police. What, what made you do that? I had some really good friends who I'd played rugby with in the past who had been coppers. And yeah, I just like the idea of um, the older blokes. Yeah, yeah. just like the idea of uh, you know joining a job that um, you know was team orientated. You could do some good. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So that was my motivation. What year was that? Ninety six. Ninety six. Went to police college in ninety six. And what's happening? Did you have any run-ins with the cops as a young fella? No, not at all. Nothing. No, nothing. Did you ever see them cruising around just? As you regularly do. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. But um, you know, I I certainly held them in, in reasonable esteem. You know, had a, had a respect for them, mm. and I never really found myself in a situation where I was, you know, up to no good. Yeah, you know, raised by an authoritarian father, always involved in team sport. So, you know, um, was I was, it much I was always on the right side of the tracks, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Much crime in your area, though. Like, did you? Oh, not particularly. I mean, yeah, no. No, no, no worse than anywhere. It's a lot worse now. Fuck. Yeah. Everything's different police now. Yeah, everything's like, exponentially. Their hands behind their back now. Different, yeah. You know? Obviously, you know, looking at your career, you slap someone and they give you a year on the bench. It makes no sense, but again, we'll talk about yeah. that soon, mate. So you put in for um, an application for the police. R- run me through this, what, this 96, did you say? 96 it was, yeah. I'd, um, yeah, I'd say... Um, went through the recruiting process, um, and I was still playing rugby at the time. Um, and I was, you know, I was pretty fit and, you know, capable. Obviously, uh, I never forget. Go, there was an old uh, old lady of a recruiting officer who um, he pulled me up on the press up technique and wasn't trying to make me do them all again. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What was the standard? Six, six or eight? Or <laughs> Mate, not the army. Um, two. <laughs> I can't even remember now. It might have been, it might have been twenty-five or thirty. And he tried to pull you up. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. thought not good enough. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't hadn't long since stopped playing for the New Zealand twenty-ones. You know. <laughs> so you're fit. Oh yeah, I was fit as fit as the, probably as fit as I've ever been in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anyway, bit of a laugh. So you go like just again, mate. Run me through the process of joining the cops back then. You know, I guess there's going to be a few Kiwi cops that are listening now and. Try and you know see if it's a, a similar process. You know, so you apply, you do your fitness, medical, uh, psychological, um, aptitude testing. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I, I'm, I'm not actually sure. Can't remember. Yeah. Um. Well, I can't. I don't know what it's like now, but yeah, in those days you had to get a certain score, I guess. You know, through your fitness testing and your um, yeah, mental aptitude and that kind of stuff, and a lot of background checks were done. Um. Yeah. I mean. It was a, it was a long it was a long process I, I recall, especially to get back to where I live because it was considered a bit of a retirement village for cops, you know. Yep. It was a desirable location to police. How long was that process of uh, doing all that pre-initial uh, recruitment? To oh, getting, for me it was getting, for me it was a few years. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh yeah. shit! Why is that? Just again because no one no one was leaving. You know, the attrition rate was quite low in those oh, days. Shit. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, and again, Hawke's Bay was considered quite a desirable place to police. So. Yeah. And sorry, just back to the the place where you grew up, how many cops are we talking? Was it like a one city police yeah. station type thing? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I was trying to think now. There might have been, we might have had 100 cops in the station. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, on any given day, there was probably about, maybe half a dozen Ds and half a dozen, you know, uniform coppers. So you do all that uh, recruiting and then you've got to wait. So you pass it all. They go, oh, you, you passed all yeah. that. Now you've just got to wait for a position to open. Basically, yeah, exactly. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's wild. So, you know, you want to get in an election year typically because that's when they, that's when they promise all the cops. Yeah. Yeah. Far out. So it took a few years. When, to, when did you get in? 2096, I was in. Oh, joined, so joined in ninety six. You joined in ninety six. Yeah. So when did you? Sorry, when did you start that application process? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I started um, earlier on, um, probably ninety two. Yeah, ninety three. No, it yeah. took that fucking long. Yeah, 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 that's wild. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I suppose because New Zealand back, what fuck? That's only four million people back then, maybe. Even yes, yeah. probably three and a half yeah. million or something. It was. I mean, it was just one of those things. You just you just start the application process. You you tick the boxes as you go along, but you don't have any expectations around when it's going to happen and you just let it sit in the background and, and, you, and you resign yourself to the fact that it'll happen when it happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah, right. So 96, you finally get the letter in the mail, I'm guessing, and it says you've been accepted and here's your academy date. Yep. Um, run me through this, mate. Where is it? How long? So you get out to the to the uh, police college in Porirua in Wellington and yeah, yeah, you're in boots and all, you know? Um some people leave on the first night, they realise it's not for them or they, they just don't like the, the idea of living in a dorm for six months and, and being told what to do. How and long I, was it? Six months? Yeah, well, yeah, five and a half Ish. months I think yeah. it was. Um, but I relished it, you know, I loved it. How many people in the class? Uh, in my wing there was 60. 60? Yeah. Yeah, right. So, and, mate, again, r- run me through the, the what you did in the academy from, you know, day one through to... That six months. Oh, mark. mate, a lot of obviously, you know, because um, there's no firearms, you know, for over in New Zealand, is it? Well, we don't carry them openly, but yeah, we certainly obviously do certainly training, training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, um, I was the last wing to go through that had the the cult. Um, oh yeah, six shooter. Six shooters. Well, I think it was a Smith and Wesson six shooter. <laughs> and the next wing after me had the Glock seventeen. Yeah, um, but my hands were too big for the a wee 45 pistol so I remember the instructor at the time um, giving me a um, six shooter g- you gave me a um, what's a dirty hairy gun oh, 357 magnum so gave me a 357 magnum to use on my qualification shoot yeah right right no. in in regard to the training how labour intensive was it you know you know you coming from rugby I'm sure you the fitness side of things um Rest of the class, how were they? You know, were they? Oh, for the most part, they're all good. Yeah, yeah, no, no issue. But it was intense. It was intensive um, time, you know, and 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 they overload you with information. Um, but they're there. The overriding sentiment for me was that they're there to pass you. You know, they're not there to fail you. There's too much investment going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, obviously, back in mid nineties, no political correctness didn't exist, so it was a bit more a paramilitarized version of training. Yeah, we're still doing marching and. And, um, Getting a backhand here or here or two? Yeah, none of that going on, but um, but you certainly got spoken to, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there was no, um, yeah, there was, there was no character adjusting. No, nah. physically. No, no, none of that. But yeah, no, you, you couldn't be precious either. Yeah, you know? yeah, which was great. I mean, the sorts of you know the chaff out from the hay, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Now, um, during the training, you know, I ask this uh, with obviously the Australian police, do you do a like a, a tenure where you go to a police station and, you know, like a operation on, on the job training? Yeah. yeah. So you, um, during your, yeah, during a training period, you go to your, your home station and you do a couple of weeks um, on the front line and, and get a, get a feel for it, you know? And where'd you go? What's I went back to Napier. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, how? But how? How's that going back to you know where you're from? Oh, it was it was it was a challenge, you know, because with like, people they're like, "Oh, bro, just let me off." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't have to. I, I can't recall dealing with any of that, but um, certainly, you know, when you go back to your hometown where everyone knows you, especially because yeah. you've been playing a bit of footy. Um, yeah, to be seen in that light. I remember driving around the police car and wondering why everyone was looking at, looking at us, you know, but then you realise you're literally in a goldfish bowl and you've, you've been constantly scrutinised and, and you know, um, and looked at. And I had, But I had the attitude, you've just got to be beyond reproach, you know? Yeah. Um, so the, the standards, the personal standards, though, have changed completely. You know, there was... I can't remember in those days we wouldn't even drive around eating in a patrol car because we didn't want to be perceived to be, you know, Chief Wiggums. Yeah, 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 yeah. Set set that image. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, was all, it was all about perception. The force continuum. The first step yeah. is presence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, and you know, now you, when I'm home, I see cops going to the cafe and walking out with muffins and pink fingernails, yeah. <laughs> and sunglasses on their head, like yeah, yeah, Dior sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what are you just doing? Yeah. Set an image. Yeah, right, mate. Um, how long are those uh, probationary periods? Uh, two years. It was two years. Oh, so, so, um, oh, so I was doing the, the training. It's the a couple training, of weeks. The, yep, yeah. The, once you finished your, your, once you get passed out, yep. then it's, um, you're on probation for two years. And back to passing out the cops, mate, how was that feeling for you? And, you know, what, what, what did your family think? Oh, I mean, it was a pretty special time, you know. Um, it was, it was, after six months of intensive training, it was, you know, it was a real achievement. Here's yeah. your gun. Here's your badge. Yeah, well, not so much the gun, but they they Just the old fucking spin, <laughs> six shooter spin. <laughs> give you a uh, give you a little wooden baton. Send you on your way. Here's your baton and, and, a, and a and a borrow pen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, your fam your family come down. Yep, they, they come down to the graduation. Yeah. yeah, I guess pretty proud moment for them. Yeah, of course, mate. Yeah. Of course. So you finish that, and again, mate, I'm only referencing what I know from the Australian side of things. You pretty much you can have a preference of where you kind of what where you want to go or get posted to. Did you yeah, have any yeah. of those preferences? Well, you know where you're going before you leave to oh, college. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, I knew I was going back to Hawke's Bay to Napier. So back home again mm. as a yeah. as a cop. Yeah, um, which you know has its challenges, but it was fine for me. You know, like. Um. Yeah, I didn't have any issues with it at yeah. all. In fact, in fact, knowing people helped. You know. Well, that's yeah. yeah. And in fact, you know, a few occasions it really helped. Yeah. You yeah, know? that's it. Yeah, Daryl did it. He stole it. <laughs> we saw him. <laughs> I remember going to a, getting called to a um, effectively a bar fight, and I, I arrived down there, and I was with a I was not a new cop, but I was with a sergeant at the time who had no idea he was flapping. All these, all these big Māori boys were about to set two, you know, and standing off, and, and he, he jumped to the middle of it and started putting his finger on people's chests. And a few of them that I'd played rugby with in the, in the yeah, rep team as well. You know, they were big boys and quite dangerous, you know, given, given the, the, the right circumstances. 
and enough piss on board. And he starts poking his poking their chest, and I remember going and grabbing him and pulling him away and saying, "Hey, I'll take care of it because at you this know. point you're going to end up in that in that water over there, you know, because we're right next to the wharf." <laughs> I don't, I don't think he really ever understood that I probably saved his life that night. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I hope he's listening. He's like, ah. <laughs> Mate, so you arrived to your police station. Do you remember that first that first week on the job? Again, mate, running through previous podcasts, I talk about you know your first arrest or yeah. uh, for seeing your first decease. Yeah. Did you, sorry, just in regard to the first decease, did you get exposed to anything uh, trauma-related? Uh, in training? No, not really. No, no one prepares you for, you know, your first decomposing body or first homicide scene. Um, it's just something you just learn on as you go along. I mean, it might, might be different now, but it's there's a lot of stuff that just can't prepare you for, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but I do remember when I first got to Napier, to Napier, sorry, um, a tremendous sense of responsibility that was in my overriding sort of uh, feeling. And um, and realizing the the weight of or the gravity of the of the responsibility, you know, yeah, and then and and the sense of yeah, sense of responsibility. Um, but I, I know that there's cops have joined the job and and they've sort of interpreted it as being power, mm. you know, mm. and, and and misuse it. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, I had a, I had a real firm but fair kind of. Policing style, I suppose. How big were you? How big? Yeah. In those days. Yeah, in those days. Oh, similar size. Oh, were you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you were fucking still a, like a big cop. Like yeah. If you walked in the room, you'd be like, you know what? I'll probably comply. Yeah, I mean, you know it, ha- I mean? Silly, like, it helps. silly helps, yeah. Yeah. But I always, I always believe that your tongue's your best weapon. Communication. You know? Yeah, communication's key. Yeah. And if you're fighting, you've already lost. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, silly didn't back down from them, but- um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was on the team policing unit where we pretty much got paid to go to the gym and then walk through the bars, you know, which was a good time. Just clean up. <laughs> oh, it was good times, you know. And, and you know, it was over the summer period in, in Napier when things would get a little bit out of control. And in those days, the bar scene was so different from now. Well, there was no RSA. No. It was just drink, drink yeah. to your drop. Yeah, and, and the bars would be overflowing. and they'd, they'd, they'd be six the, o'clock in the morning. Yeah, there'd be yeah. potential for a for a, a riot on any given weekend, you know? Yeah. Um, we used to go through and, and, and the, and the, and the shitheads would always put their hands up. In one way or another, they'd go, pick me, you know, I want a night in the cell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Mate, run me through your first arrest. Oh, first arrest. Can't really recall the first one, but I, I mean, I remember maybe like in the first few I, weeks. Yeah, I remember. Maybe. I remember when I was doing team policing. Um, this big, solid uh, Islander guy came out of the bar and was giving the um, the bar owner some real grief, and and I could see he was quite a dangerous looking guy, you know. And, and um, he was he was looked like he was going to go off at any, any moment. And, and my mate of mine I was working with, he went round behind him, and this really quietly put a carotid hold on him and all of a sudden he's asleep on the ground. And it was so clean and so tidy, which is what you're always striving for when it comes to arrest, right? And um, so I got one cuff on, wrist twice the size of mine and only just got the first cuff on and he started to wake up. I'm like, Gus, Gus, he's waking up. Gus, just clamped up a bit harder. 
<laughs> put him put back, him back again. to sleep again. And then we, I got got the second one on, you know. Just beautiful. Yeah, right. Mm. Fucking hell. That's wild. <laughs> Mate, um, in regard to seeing your first bit of trauma, you know, what, what, what are we talking? Uh, you know, where you just walk in and you're like, yeah, the, 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 geez, the thing for me was unreal. always um, the informing jobs when you had to go and knock on somebody's door and tell them their kid had been killed in a car crash. Yeah, that's how fuck. That was horrible. It is horrible. Horrible. It, and you're trying to avoid them like the plague, you know. Um, but that was definitely the worst part of the job. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know, you just get through it, eh? You? Because you know that, that you, you're, you're the one in the blue shirt, right? Yeah. And they're looking to you. Yeah. Do you remember your, the first day, first dead person you seen? Um, yeah. I don't know if it was the first one now on reflection, but there was one where a guy had died in a, like a, it was like a, like a cheap housing or dormitory for, you know, the down and out. And this poor bloke had um, had an epileptic seizure in his bed and fallen out of the bed. And uh, it was a small room, you know, with just a single bed on one side and a desk on the other. And we couldn't open the door to get him out. We finally did. I think we might have taken off the hinges. And I was with a young cop, and um, we're trying to drag this guy out of the out of the out of the room. And, and he'd been there for a few days in the Hawke's Bay sun, and just oh. Yeah, not good. Oh. Just basically burst open, and the smell is still. Thing. You can still smell it. Yeah, and I remember listening to another podcast of yours, and there was a copper talking about the same thing. You can never forget it. No, and it's, there's nothing like it on the planet. And yeah, I remember racing back to the station to um, get some bicks and stick it up my nose. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> some bicks vapor rub. Yeah. Because it was just terrible. Yeah, it's it's so, funny you say that because I've had a couple of cops on, obviously, and they've spoken about that where they put the Vicks yeah, yeah. on the, the nostrils Vaseline. before they go in or Vaso to go oh, in. That's fucking wild. Mate, it's the only thing you can do. <laughs> but, no, but no one else can do it. You're the, you, no, you're the one that does it. Well, you're the first on the scene, aren't you? Well, you, really? you, yeah, you get the mortician, they'll come down or the, you know, the coroner or whatever. And It's wild that you've got to help move the bodies as well or carry the body. Yeah. You know, put them in a body bag or... Yeah. It's fucked. Yeah, it's just part of the gig. That's wild. It's wild, mate. Um, during the first couple of years, mate, did you experience anything where you were like, like, fuck, that was close? Or, you know, I don't know, something dangerous that you thought, fuck, could have got seriously hurt there? Yeah, I can't remember anything exactly, to be honest with you, but, I mean... um. I think they're commonplace, to be honest, and you just kind of it was just, you you just, revert back to training. Yeah, you just yeah. brush it off, and it's just like it's all part of the it's all part of the job. Yeah, um, yeah, we had some good times though. It was a, good, it was a great job in those days. Yeah, you know, it was. It was every, you know, I, I thought it was every. <coughs> excuse me, it was every boy's dream for a job. You know, um, you know, you're working with guys who are similar outlook to you and you know fit and healthy and are there for the right reasons and you know it's very team orientated obviously yep there was always the there was always the driftwood for sure you know yeah um for the most part it was great so just reading here mate it's a common to uh auckland yeah and not, i think it was 97 so i hadn't been in the job very long they how was that going into the big smoke was it was awesome yeah yeah 
well, it was it was good in, in a lot of ways, and 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 kind of average in a no, number of ways. Um, it was called Operation Cavalry, and Auckland was so understaffed at the time they started taking um, uniformed cops from other regions to to supplement, you know, their their numbers. I I would got posted to Newmarket, which is a pretty potsy area in Auckland. No, I never recall going into the uh, the kitchen of the station one of the first nights I was there to cook my dinner like we always did in Napier and there was no pots and pans and I'm thinking what's going on here got, they got no bloody uh, utensils how are we supposed to cook a feed and then I looked at the rubbish bin and I realised it was full of McDonald's wrappers oh, and they literally have no time they were just going job, job after job, job after job they were going to only hunger Odahu locking up someone for, for shoplifting Back to central process. Straight back out. Straight back out. They only hung a lock up somebody else. So they spent half the half the shift on the motorway. How long were you in Auckland for? Well, it was only a few. It was only um, maybe a couple of months. Oh, was it? Yeah. But um, do you learn a fair bit? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it was all reactive policing. Whereas in Napier, you had the ability to be proactive. You know, you get you could go and talk to kids on the street and get get follow up stuff. Make sure that you know. Um, yeah, just, you could do your best, I guess, to to uh, to to do some real police work. You know, you were just reacting to to jobs yep. as they came in. Yeah, right. Uh, so you get back to Napier, ninety eight, mate, Dublin. A bit of a nine month uh, bender. Yeah. Well, I um, I <laughs> took a I took a year's leave without pay. Um, so that's after two years, you take a year without pay. Yeah. So just, basically, as soon as I did my, uh, I, I became, what do they call it, a, um, uh, once you finish a probationary period, can't record it is now, but you're a permanent position, sorry. Once you okay. got your permanent position, you could you could then apply for leave without pay, and I got an offer to go to Dublin as a player coach. Off for rugby? Right, for rugby, yeah. So I'll play coach for a team? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So I um, went to a club called Monkstown in Dublin, which was good times. A pay position? Yeah, oh yeah. Was it all right? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, right. I was not as much as as you get now. Yeah, but um, we're on the, I was on the piss for nine months. How were the cops with allowing you to go? As you said, there was quite. Oh, they were great. I mean, in those days, they used to encourage that kind of stuff, you know, because there was a lot of cops and there yeah, wasn't. Yeah, a lot of cops were playing rugby, and, yeah. and there was no issue um, leaving. I mean, they always sort of say to you, "Well, we can't guarantee your position when you get back." You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. could end up somewhere else. Yeah. So, that, so in that sense, they do try. And discourage it a little bit, I a suppose. Bit. But mate, for the most part, they were incredibly supportive. And, and I, I had some really good senior sergeants in those days, you know, just good guys who used to back you and support you to do what you needed to do. On that mentally, how did that, you know, you do two years of policing, pretty hard policing as a GD, all that trauma, all that rest, you know, all that uh, fighting and host- hostility, and then you take that year off. How was your mental... You know, was it kind of like a reset as well, like mentally? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if, if policing in, in Napier in those days was that was that Intensive, arduous. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, for the most part, I was just having a great time. You know, uh, love shift work. Um, got You're plenty young. Of, yeah, twenty. Yeah, twenty four. I was oh, prime time. Yeah, twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, living a dream. Yeah. Um, and then went, you know, got to Dublin and just loved it as well. You just know, turned it off for nine oh, months. Off, you, you count on one hand the number of days it was fine. <laughs> There's a reason they spend half their lives in the bar. Yeah, you know? 
but uh, no, it was good times. Yeah, right. So you spend nine months, and then, as you said, you come back to Napier. Yeah. Got your job back. Got my job back. Had one more year of playing um, for Hawke's Bay, um, and then and then retired at the end of uh, 99. Oh, did you? Yeah. Injury. Yeah, just I couldn't do it anymore. Please. I was, yeah. Please. Stuffed. Did yeah. you have to do any uh, medical testing, extra testing through the cops? Um, just, just no, didn't, not didn't tell them really. Well, actually, when I first joined, um, I told them I had one arthroscopy, and in those days, uh, this was about early. This was the early nineties when I first tried to join. Um, you, they didn't want basically cops joining the job that would become a problem later on. So they used to decline. They, they actually declined me initially. Oh, did they? Yeah, they declined yeah, right. me. But then they changed the rules. Um, in those days, it was called perfing. They think it's an acronym, but basically getting out of the job. Um, and then they changed the rules so that which allowed, um, which meant they didn't have to pay you out. Basically, I think was the premise. So I was able to I was able to re, to, to join and um, and reapply. Yeah, wasn't a problem. So just in so back to Dublin. So you get back from Dublin, straight back to Napier, straight back into the role. You slot straight back into your position. Yeah, join the Armed Defender Squad. Yeah, right. Which is your sort of part-time um, response team. And as we, as you know, we spoke about for obviously your training firearms. They carry. So just back to the GD side of things. What what are they doing? They got pistol. Is there a pistol in the car? Or? Yeah. So um, during my tenure in Napier, they at that time they they brought in the ability to have a Glock uh, in the in the gun safe in the in the vehicle, and you had your uh, your Bushmaster rifle on the back. Oh, there was of the, of the boot. Yeah. Oh, so you had a rifle as well. Yeah. Oh, All locked away, of course, under yeah, lock. Of course, yeah. yeah. But what I'm saying is, it wasn't wasn't immediately accessible. You know what I mean? Yeah, just just quickly, mate. Just sidetracking a little bit over your time in policing without a firearm. Were there any times where you're like, "Fuck, I wish I had my firearm on me, not in the car"? Um, yeah, there were a few times. Yeah, there were yeah. a few times. But you know, typically you, you get you get um, some notice. You know, if there was a job, uh, you, you could react and go to the station, and you have to go to this gun safe, get the Glock out. And off you'd go. Um, you know, gun crime wasn't a, wasn't a big thing in those no, days. No, it, Again, no. it's changed now. But yeah. in those days, it was hardly an issue. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know? you're probably right. Yeah. Um, yeah, di- fuck, different times, mate. Obviously, yeah. Christchurch and all those things that kicked off um, changes the, the aspects and the, well, the environment. Yeah. As, as, we, as we've talked about before, you yeah, know, exactly. also the, the, the 501 legislation where, where you guys are sending all your hardened criminals back to New Zealand once, yeah. I, once I've done their time that's changed the landscape um, exponentially in New Zealand yeah oh has it oh yeah the criminality has gone through the roof yeah we've got, it... we've got weekly shootings now with, um, you know gang related shootings fuck uh, it's changed everything yeah fuck and of course and you know meth wasn't prevalent in those days either no, no. which are now it's, it's a big part of society unfortunately we're just, we're just sending them back oh <laughs> Can't, you can't, can't blame me for it. No, no. But, you know. So, where are we here? So, you're back from Dublin, back to Napier, back to working again. Uh, during during the time of 
you know, policing, did you ever run into the STG boys? Yeah, when I was on the Armed Defenders Squad, we used to, um, they would come and attend our camp sometimes and, and give us expert, you know, um, tuition or whatever. So I had I was exposed to them a couple of times, I think. Did you ever see them work? No. No. No, I hadn't seen them work. Uh, and I didn't really even know they existed until I was on the Armed Defenders Squad and they would come to our, you know, training days or whatever. Um, but yes, it certainly must have put a fire under me because I was like, oh yeah, this is, could be a bit of me, you know? Yeah. Mate, sorry, just, just on the Armour Fender Squad, are we talking you guys are armed as well? Is is it how it is? Yeah, so the Armour Fender Squad is a part-time team yep. uh, that would react to a pager in those days. and For anything that for, was for, for, an, for an armed incident, exactly. Yep, gotcha. Wherever there's a firearm involved and... You know, the mantra of the Undefender Squad was caught and contained an appeal. Um, as it sounds, is to court in the address, um, contain it, make sure that no one can get out of it, and then appeal for the uh, for the offender to come out. Persuade. Persuade. Yeah. Ask <laughs> with, nicely. With gunshots. <laughs> yeah. but, Mate, were, were there any, any serious times during that arm offenders, uh, you know, uh, a firearm or a siege or... Anything you just like again, mate? Just like fuck, that was that was pretty fucking dicey. Yeah, there was probably a couple, but I just can't recall them. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, there was certainly one after I left, which I'll talk about later. Mm. But um, yeah, there was no. Uh, oh, there was a just before I joined the job, a cop in Hastings got shot and killed by a um, by an offender after just a random traffic stop. That was a big deal, you know. Um, there was a prolonged manhunt where he was finally cornered and shot shot dead um, a few months later. That was just before I joined. Yeah. Um, and those still, still, I guess those stories were reverbing around. Yeah, definitely. The yeah. police. Yeah, it was a, I mean, it was a- was you big, got excited for it? Yeah, it was big news, yeah. 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 That just makes you want to join more. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Different mindset, isn't it? Yeah. Some people just have that different mindset. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so obviously there was a whole bunch of incidents uh, throughout your time in the Armour Defenders. Obviously, you can't remember because you probably did so bloody many. Again, mate, you've uh, bumped into the STG boys. Where does that inkling come along? You're like, fuck, I want to be like those blokes, dressed in black and just yeah, four slung. Yeah. Just looking cool. Um, it, was kind of, it was kind of twofold in, in that um, I kind of felt like my days as a frontline cop were kind of numbered. I, I felt like the walls were closing in a wee bit with me in Napier, um, knowing people and, and being scrutinised. and I felt a bit of pressure, I think, in that regard. I just felt like it was time for a change. Um, and also, yeah, I just wanted a bit more. I wanted another challenge. And then I met these STG guys come to our training days, and I was like, yeah, I wouldn't want a bit of that. And they probably sowed the seed with me as well, you know. Um, and they were like, you know, I found out there was a selection, the first selection coming up um, for new guys. The STG went full-time post 9-11, so only a couple of years prior. Um, they became a full-time squad, so they were kind of recruiting, looking to to pad out their numbers and you know, have dedicated breaching teams and sniper teams. So it was good timing from my perspective. And then so I did the um, selection course in 2003, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, 2003. Just sw- swing back to... Just swing back to uh, September 11, mate. How did that uh, change the course of anything within, 
I suppose Napier probably didn't change much. Well, in mate, the, in the you, grand scheme of things, you know, down the track, you end up. You say, you know, say that, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I just, I remember that day like it was yesterday. That's what I mean. So let's, as, let's, as a, let's run through it. Like as, a lot, as a lot do. Were you on, on the job or anything? I was on the job. I was on night shift and um, we were doing bail checks. Driving around Napier was, was my mate at the time. Wow. So what's bail check? Like so making sure that people are supposed to be home at home on bail, you know? Yeah, that's wild, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Knock on the window. Are you nah. in there? Yeah. Yeah. If they, don't, if they don't turn up, then they, there's a warrant issued for their arrest. Yeah, right. Anyway, um, but we're doing bail checks, and, and I got a call over the radio from the controller in Wellington saying, are you guys near a TV? I'm like, no, why? He just said, you might want to get back to the station, get in front of one. There's, there's a lot going on. Got back there just in time for that. So you complained at the tower. Oh, shit. Yeah. Far out. Yeah. And that's etched into your memory. Oh, mate. It? It's incredible. Wild, it? And, and then maybe an hour later, I took a phone call from a lady. Um, in, the, in the station and said my daughter um, lives in New York and she works in the uh, World Trade Centre can you can you help me out like what do I do I just remember thinking this is occurring thousands of miles away and, don't know what to do and this lady just rang up down the road it just it disconnected everything in that instant you know and um, yeah I just remember having a sinking feeling you know and and then I found out the next day that her daughter had missed the train or something. Oh, and, and fuck. Yeah, and hadn't got into work. Fuck. Yeah. There's heaps of those yeah. stories in there. Yeah. And, uh, and I've, heard, I've heard of a few on YouTube where someone's just called in sick. They're like, oh, I'm not feeling well. Not Man. going today. Someone else went in with for them and perished. Yeah. Fucking wild. Yeah, mate. Changed, yeah. changed the world, didn't it? Yeah. In an instant. In an instant. Yeah. You know, especially the airports, except in New Zealand. <laughs> they continue on no, no no screenings or anything yeah. <laughs> just jump on a domestic flight yeah. any name you want yep. as long as you've got a ticket so good <laughs> um, so 2003 you go through the process of joining STG mate run me through this process um, what are you doing are you applying are you, do you have to go for an interview with you know I guess STG boss or whatever mate in those days it was the first one and um and people probably won't believe me now, but in those days, I literally got invited to go and do the selection course. There was about 12 guys on it. Um, six lasted the week. Uh, one week course. One week course. Um, well, that felt like three weeks because you got no sleep. Um, and just, yeah, they basically just try to run into the ground and see how much you wanted it, you know? Physically. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mentally. Firearms. Yeah. Bit of shooting. Limited food. No sleep. Um, you know, force pack marches, carrying jerry cans of water. So full, like, military style, yeah. oh, full yeah. army style. Yeah. I mean, the SDG, um, yeah, felt to me at the time that was pretty much paramilitary, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we, yeah, we did a lot of stuff. So 12 start, 6 finish. 6 finished. And, and then of that 6, we were graded, and I was ranked 3rd. And... Um, and then I literally uh, finished the course, and a week later, the big boss man for the national team rang me up and said, Dustin, there's a position going to Wellington if you want it. And I said, yep. And a few months later, I was down in Wellington. It was just like there was no interview process. There was no no nothing. So they kind of used the training as like the the screening process as yeah, well, exactly. obviously. Essentially, yeah. Work out your character. Yeah, yeah right. So, yeah. Sorry, all those six... 
that passed all got pushed into the unit? They all got jobs eventually, yeah. They did, yeah. yeah. But I think I was the first one that was that was taken on board. Yeah. There, 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 was, there was just good timing. There was a vacancy in, in, uh, in Wellington. So you get to Wellington, are you, what, are you put onto, straight onto courses? Yeah, initially I was actually doing a sniper's course because that was the role I was going to, I was going to take on, and and that's when I got a phone call saying that um, uh, a previous incident um, come back to haunt me. What incident? Well, we that, well that was the one that where the, um, I got called to a job um, to deal with a uh mob member who had been giving an old lady a hard time, and um, giving an old lady a hard yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real, bra- real brave guy. Yep. And we arrived there, and um. Uh, I, I locked him up and there was a bit of a scuffle involved and managed to get some cuffs on him in the back of the police car. I'm driving back to the station um, and he was spitting at me from the back seat. Some blood was coming out of his nose and spitting at me and I had enough of it so I jammed the picks on in the car and he, he's come, sort of come through from the back seat between the two front seats and as he's, as he's come through I've given him a backhander straight in the, in the kisser and um, and he's got back to the station and complained that I've um, I've assaulted him. And uh, was it just you, you and him in the police no, there was, car? I had my my uh, offsider was next to him in the back of the cop car. Yeah, it's two stories against one. Well, that's what you'd think. Yeah, but um, anyway, uh, there was an old lady of a senior sergeant there at the time, and uh, he took the complaint and ran with it. Next thing you know, I'm getting stood down. So I got advised when I was on my sniper's course. Fuck. So how long? How, like, how long is it, are you in? STG? Oh, only, only a matter of a month. Yeah, yeah. Not even that. Fuck. So this is kind of like your first job almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is your first job. You're fucking giving him a fucking John Alermo, don't fucking argue. Well, so that happened back in Napier before I left. Did the, previ- oh, the previous year. Gotcha. Yeah. Happened a few months. That happened, that happened a few months prior. Ah. And then I got to Wellington, but that's when it came. That's when I got the phone oh, call. Oh, so it happened when you were in the GDs. Correct. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I thought it happened when you were in STG. No, no, no. no. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So it's why you're a GD, you've yeah. given him the fucking backhand. He's only got one, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he cried like a stuck pig, you of know what I mean? Did. Yeah. yeah, and um, anyway, yeah. So you're halfway through your sniper's course, and then it's come down the chain, stand this bloke down yep. until we investigate. Yep, exactly. So you're still down for a year. I'm on full pay for a year. <laughs> Stop down. It doesn't make sense. It was ridiculous. Like, and then, so during this year, what do you? What, what did you do? Oh, mate, I, I um, well, I was getting, I was getting paid every week, so I was like, well, just no point, hang, no point hanging around, um, hanging around Wellington. So I went to went to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I met up with my mate. We went to Mykonos and I beat there, living the dream. <laughs> it just makes no sense, mate. but but anyone who thinks that the that the New Zealand police aren't hard on their own. They yeah. couldn't be more wrong. But no, yeah. That's... So the whole year you're off, full pay, what happens? Like at coming to the end, you, what are you getting an email and like, uh, are you cleared? Oh, are you, sorry, are you going to court? Or yeah, yeah. So there was a. So yeah. they're trying to charge you for assault? Yeah, I was charged with assault. You were charged yep. with assault? Absolutely. And they were just trying, trying to prove. Yeah. So then they uh, went to a, uh, a jury trial and. Um, um, which was my preference um, because I knew that, you know, um, should present reasonably well to a, to a jury and uh, called a couple of character witnesses, a couple of um, ex-all black buddies of mine, um, 
who uh, you know did me a great turn. Um, um, one of which is uh, you know was quite a famous All Black, and and um, but was also uh, kind of infamous for being quite brutal as well on the yeah, field. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember the uh, the Crown Prosecutor who who couldn't um, act during the trial because I knew him, you know. So they got an out of towner Crown Prosecutor. Anyway, the Crown Prosecutor, who I knew, came to me and said, "Hey, Dustin, do you think it's um, do you think it's wise to have so and so on you as a character witness? You know, you're on on a, you're on an assault charge, and and he's a brawler. Yeah, he's a brawler. Like he's famous for, you know, for telling people up. I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. And anyway, I didn't worry about it too much, and it didn't prove to be an issue at all. But yeah, it was. Did cool. you play rugby with him as a young fella? Uh, I played against him. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Played against them. Did he give you a snot? Did he? No, no. But we, oh, we used to have a couple of, um, you know, a couple of goes. But he's a good man. Yeah, yeah he's a good man. Yeah, right. but they, but they did a great job, you know. Yeah, and, of course. And, 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 and yeah, but I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty um pretty challenging to to you know to be on trial and on you know to be cross examined uh, for doing your job. Yeah, for doing your job, and then not only that, but you know what they don't tell you is that when the jury get, retires to make come to a verdict, that you've got to go and um, basically be detained. So you've got to go into custody. And I hadn't I hadn't been aware of that, and I wasn't prepared for it. I'll never forget being let out, putting in, being put into a cell by the prison guards. Did they? Yeah. You're right. Well, they went to, and I was like, because I knew a few of them, you're right, because I was having been a cop there for a while, and and I just said, hey. Bro, any chance to leave that door open? Because the thought of closing the door behind you in a small cell was really just hard to deal with. Especially being a cop. Yeah, totally. And like nothing you did was, you know, it, it's, it's not like you, you pre-planned this. It's not like no. pre-meditated. No, no. You know, you anyway, doing, and he obliged and he left the door open for me. Yeah, it did. You know? Yeah. Should do, runner. And then, and then, yeah. And then, and then uh, tricked you. It was, it was lunchtime as well, so they're like, "I'll come down and have lunch with us." Oh, did we're they? having a feed downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, you're technically a criminal. I remember. I remember. Yeah, basically yeah, in that moment, criminal, in, in yeah. that moment, you're up, yeah, proven not guilty. And I walked past another cell, and there was a another um, criminal there who had locked up a few times. He looked at me and he goes, "Oh, Dustin, Nate, they finally got you." Oh, this is yeah, what he said to me. Finally got you. <laughs> yeah, classic. And, uh, so I said to the prison guard, I said, put me in here with him. And he goes, no, no, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, in regard to the jury, how many people are in the in the court? Do, you know, do they? Who, who's, well, well, 12 jurors, obviously. 12 jurors. Yeah, and, and, they, uh, how, and they, ret- they retired for about half an hour. Oh, and did they? Yeah, I, that, that was all it was. Just lunch and, they, break. and they came back out, and I remember the uh, the one guy looked at me, and he just goes, gives me the thumbs up. Oh, did he? Gives me a wink. Yeah, mad dog. <laughs> <laughs> you good, mate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was, yeah. Fuck. But it was pretty emotional, though, to, to get off that charge. Was mate? Did you look at that, uh, who, was the, who was the charging officer? Well, it was the senior sergeant who was the, who was the, the guy that, who, he sort of instigated the prosecution. You just give him the fucking birds, oh. you go, fuck you. He was actually outside the court when I walked out. Was he? Yeah. And he came up to me and sort of just nodded him. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> straight back. Yeah. In. <laughs> I can't remember how I even reacted to him now, but I mean, I just remember thinking, 
Really, mate? Yeah, I know. Cog yeah. in. Yeah. The, 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 that's the criminal out there. Yeah. You know, like far yeah. out. We're all, the, the, we're all on the same team. The, the prime the prime witness for the for for the prosecution was another um uh Rungle mob member who was standing on his front lawn at the time and had seen me stop the police car and do what I did. And and he was the prime witness. And he didn't turn up to court the first day. And that or well, the first where he was supposed to be there and they deferred the hearing until he was finally found and they brought they dragged him to court. Bullshit. Yeah, true story. And um, you listen to the word. It was an criminal. absolute myth hit. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, of course he didn't present that well, giving evidence. <laughs> it was a shambles, mate. Oh, mate! And you just think, what a waste of time. All too typical, isn't it? Yeah. So, you found not guilty, mate. Free to go. Yep. Back to work as uh, an that operator. Was the, that was the, back, yeah, that was December. So back to work as an operator. And, and sorry, but you're back to. Back to training almost, pretty much, because you haven't done any training, have you? You've nah, been off for the nothing. last. Mate, I got trespassed from the police station. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Couldn't even go in there. So, you, so you're back to your training progress, back to your training regime, I should say, of yeah. doing your sniper's course again. Well, actually, by the time I got back there, things had changed. Another guy had come on as a sniper, so I ended up um, going to the breaching team, which was- which Not Fife, met. was it? Uh, that wasn't Fife. Um, it was another guy. Yeah. When, did, when did you meet Fife? Well, he came onto the SDG a little bit after me. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And just for the listeners, Fife is another bloke on uh, this tour. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, worked with Dusty. He's a good boy. Yeah. Mate, um, yeah, so you're back on your training. And so what did you – obviously, snipers has been filled. What did you move into? So, yeah, yeah, I got I got a breaching, um, breaching role, which suited me better anyway. Not really one to wait around too much. You're a big guy too. You probably use your body as a battering ram. You see a good times, boy. Yeah. Just blo- like, run me through the breaching role for, you know, are we talking explosives? Yeah, so, um, yeah, anything from using, um, you know, rammers to to sledges to to um, explosive breaching, yeah. Yeah. And how long was that course? Oh, we did a few of them, you know, a few different courses. They're all different. Um, yeah. Was, it, was there multiple other courses as well, like CQB? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Just, well, just multiple courses multiple before courses. you become a fully qualified operator? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Then you, well, then I would have did a qualification course as well. So, what's, and what's that? That was a, uh, several weeks of, of more intensive training. Um, and that's kind of like the confirmation of yeah. all your training, is it? Yeah. You're doing fast roping, rappelling, yep. um, breaching. How'd you find all that training? You loved it. Loved it. So good. Yeah. I'm every boy's dream for a job. Oh. You know, shoot guns. Are you fly. working in between this? So you're doing courses? Yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah, you're still well. a job. Yeah. Yep. Still attending jobs and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Mate, run me through, I guess, your first, you know, again, your first jobs a year later. Run me through something, I don't know. So so let's just say the armed offenders can't deal with it, the armed offender squad can't yeah. deal with it, then you, that's when they call an SDG. Yeah, basically SDG are involved when it's um, it's a bot beyond the capabilities of, of the armed offender squad. Um. I mean, unfortunately, in, in those days, New Zealand was still quite a safe place. So um, a lot of our job was training, you know. Um, we had some decent jobs, but... Um, this is Wellington, you said? Yeah, so it's, but Wellington was part of the national national team. So we had a squad in Auckland, one in Wellington, and a squad in Christchurch. But in those days, it was about 12 members each, so 36 nationally. Um, yeah, so... We had some good times, though, you know. Anything significant? As as we know, like further on down the track, Christchurch and all those other things happen. 
anything significant that you had to deal with? There's a few I missed. Um, I might have been on leave or whatever. Um, you know, there was the, the which is the now infamous sort of Tuhoi um, uh, raid that they called. Um, there was supposed to have been a, a, a faction of, of um, Maori tribe in, in the, the remote Tuhoi region that were police thought at the time were conspiring to to overtake the government. Um, yeah, missed that one. But um, I can remember going to Fiji, you know, um, when uh, for a job. We covered the island as well, you see. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, so so it was one, during one of the military coups when Bainarama was... Um, yeah, right, let's talk about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So... So you you guys were covering all the islands around. Yeah. Like how far are we talking? Like Vanuatu, um, Fiji, certainly Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. Uh, no yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck, I didn't know that. Yeah. And because their their new cops come to New Zealand to train, they got gotcha. a lot of them gotcha. do their recruiting courses in New Zealand. Yep. Um, so we were up there a lot. Um, and what 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 are you dealing with? Uh, well, when I say when I say a lot, I mean. No, um, SDG went to the Solomons. They went to East Timor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, before my before my time. But, yeah, but Fiji was a good time. Um, um they, well, we got we got Bula. deployed. We got deployed to Fiji, the, one of the most friendliest places on the planet, <laughs> it is, isn't it? And all they gave us was a was a big pen to to deal with them living. But there'd been some veiled threats against um, Zion consulate staff and and um. Yeah, we laid by the pool for two weeks, basically. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we did lots of did lots of training and and um, you know, awesome weather and and I can remember being surveilled while we were out out running around the roads and that. But you know, they, they weren't they weren't very discreet about it. And next thing you know, we get a call. Oh, Dustin, uh, the consulate was this, uh, the the um, New Zealand his name. New Zealand consulate um, want to see you anyway. And so I, I, I go in there and I'm like, what's this all about? And the guy says to me, the, you know, the main guy says to me, oh, Frank's giving me a call. Frank Whiteham has given me a call. Um, he wants to know if he can play rugby on Saturday. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you? No. <laughs> Retired. <laughs> Fuck. But it just demonstrated, you know, how how friendly everything was. And, and yeah, it just was, it was bizarre. Yeah. Dur- during your time as an operator, ag- again, mate, just is there anything significant, you know, like like I just asked before, uh, outside of dealing with Fiji and stuff like that, you know, like a door kicking exercise where you've had to go in and kick doors in and arrest bikies or whatever? Or yeah, well, we had a few of those. Heaps. Yeah. 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 We, did, um, we had a few of those. There was a, I mean, the most significant job was after I'd left, actually, that I can recall was. Um, back in Napier, of all places, um, where a cop and a friend of mine who I'd played rugby with um, was just doing a routine search warrant at a house in Napier um, for cannabis. And um, uh guy comes out of the bedroom and he's got a SLR or something. It's a 308 rifle and, and, and forced him out of the house at gunpoint and they've gone downstairs to leave and he's, he's sprayed them, sprayed them with rounds and um, my mate was killed on the spot. Oh, shit. And two other cops, um, friends of mine were- STG uh, bloke? No, they were just frontline just cops. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and they, two of them uh, got shot as well. 
and it was a prolonged siege. Went on for three or four days. I was in Afghanistan at the time. Yeah, right. Fuck. Yeah. So it's pretty tragic. And um, my mate Len Snee, lovely guy. So yeah, just a good man, you know. Um, he lay out in the street. They couldn't recover his body for a couple of days. And um, more rounds were fired out of the house. A couple of rounds were fired at the house, and eventually the that uh, gutless prick shot himself. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, but it was yeah, that was big news as you can imagine. Yeah, time yeah. SDG were called in there. Um, yeah, by the time they got there, they couldn't do much. I think it's over. Yeah, you spend how long in STG? Four years. Four years, roughly. So f- four years, mate. What, what what made you pull the pin? Uh, I just felt like it was time for a new challenge. You know, and I just felt like we're getting a little bit stale. I was getting a bit stale. And also it was hard on the body, you know, like it's rigorous fitness testing and and, and maintenance, you know, but a lot of training, which was great because you got paid for it. But yeah. It was just time for a change. I didn't think my body was going to hold up that much longer. And what were your thoughts? Obviously there's a lot of contracting talk going around, yeah, especially was, for military yeah. guys. Yeah, and a lot of guys had left the STG as well en masse and gone to – um, Iraq Iraq in those yeah. days um, um, guys that you probably mix with yeah um, yeah so that left that, that left a few holes obviously at the time and, and other guys fresh guys came on but yeah that was sort of contracting world was swirling around for sure because of the money as well yeah the money was was great how was the money back then at STG mate we got paid more than the average cop obviously but I, I probably left um I think my my wages in those days were probably in the high nineties. Oh fuck, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, especially back then. Yeah, that's fucking good money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So you've got that inkling of you want to get into the private contracting, as you said. A few of the boys are already over in Iraq. Yeah, a possible gig came up in Sri Lanka of all places. And Sri Lanka. And, yeah, yeah, right. And spin bowlers. Like good. A couple of Murleys there. A couple of Murleys. <laughs> um. So yeah, that was a job swirling around for that, and and but it was, as you can relate to, it was one of those jobs that turned out to be, you know, too good to be true, and mm. you know, um, I don't know, it just never came together. Oh, so it shut down, did it? It, it yeah. never happened. Yeah, you know, but you know, at one point we got told you can leave your current roles. This job's a yeah, go. Spin up, yeah, yeah. And as I've learned since, you know, those jobs are everywhere. Yeah, you know, it's every week. Yeah, mate. <laughs> Um, and then there was another job going in Rome, which some listeners will probably even know about, you know, where there was supposed to be work escorting the Vatican jewels around the world and, <laughs> you know, just bizarre stuff, which never came to fruition, obviously. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and now you learn that every man and his dog was, was lined up to do it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a, it's it's a, bit of a joke. It? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Like the security industry. Um, so anyway, however, didn't happen, and then yep. I got, and then I randomly got an, uh, an opportunity to go to Afghanistan um, with a, with a global strategies group, the British company, it was ex um, New Zealand officer who was project manager, country manager, and I got connected with him, and that was the way in. What year was that? Only uh, two thousand nine. So two thousand nine, mate. Um, a bit of a change from Napier to Kabul. Well, I was in Wellington, of course. Oh, Wellington, yeah. sorry, yep. Yes, oh, big, yeah, big difference. Big difference. Uh, oh, mate, we'll talk about, talk about um, 
Afghanistan is fucking turning it on. Yeah, you know, started that two thousand nine. That's when it started, especially out in the out in the boonies. That's where it was turning it on for yeah. the rest of the world. Were you there then? I went in two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the height of the war, right? It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. It's only getting talk about a culture shock. I mean, oh, let's let's talk about it, mate. You know, landing into it's <laughs> downtown Kabul. It's not mate, like it's just uh, fucking bizarre. No, nothing so, could prepare you for it either. What was your job role, PSD? What are you doing working Initially, for? I was on a QRF, which was attached to the uh, the uh, DEA compound or interdiction team, which were, um, which were, um, yeah, there obviously to try and to nullify the poppy market, um, heroin market. Yep, which yep. The, the Americans were heavily involved with as well. So the DEA had a, had a decent compound there and global were providing a QRF service for the DEA. For the DEA, yeah, right. So if they got into a stink, they'd send you guys out to get them out of that stink. No, no. What it was was that basically was just compound security. Ah, uh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So it was pretty. It was a shit job. Yeah, but you needed to sort of do your time on that before you end up end up on a MST team, on the P- teams, PSD yeah. team. Yeah. So I did my time on that for a few months, and then um, and then uh, yeah, transferred across to a PSD team. Yeah, right. How long did you spend on the PSD side of things? Um, well, I was there for two years in total. Yeah. And um, – Meet some characters, I tell you. <laughs> a few of our mates that we know. Yeah. Mate, <laughs> like the Star Wars bar, you know, you'd walk in and <laughs> all sorts of shapes and sizes and – Jab of the heart. Fucking it. I know. Fucking out there, eh? Contracting world, mate. It's mate. wild, isn't it? Mate, it was the Wild West. It was the Wild West, mate. In those days, too. Mate, run me through um, – Anything anything happen over there? Um, I mean, I didn't get involved in any firefights. Like I remember um, driving back from a job, and there was rounds going down the chase rounds going down the street, and my my my, um, my Afghan driver stopped to look at the lights like it was a Christmas tree. I'm like, mate, what are you doing? Drive. Yeah, just get out of here. Like we're in a soft skin surf. Carry on, you know. <laughs> Wait, so where in where in Kabul was this? Do you remember? Oh, I don't remember. Don't remember. Not not near the airport or anywhere, or no, nah, it wasn't the other direction. Yeah, I think I know the compounds you're talking about. Yeah, it was up on the base of the hills. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Armour Group had a yeah, it's near Green Village. Yeah, they called it, I think. Yeah, so but, you spent two years in Afghanistan. Did you? What was it? What were we talking? Is it like eight weeks on? We were doing we were doing uh, nine three nine. on one off. I think. Oh fuck, that's not bad. Yeah, three months on, one month off. That was, and you're flying. Kabul to Dubai, Dubai back to straight New Zealand? Uh, for the first year, I was trying to satisfy the non-residency thing for tax purposes. So I'd go north. So I went to um, London and oh, did you? Scandinavia. Oh, easy. So it's only back to Ibiza. A few hour flight. Back yeah. to Ibiza. Yeah. 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 On contractor money too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a good mate lives there. So yeah. Get locked after. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So you spent two years in Afghanistan, mate. What, what you know, where'd you go from there? Um, so it's 2009 to 2011. Roughly. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed my time in Af- Afghanistan to a point, but um, yeah, I felt like I was sacrificing a whole lot as well, you know? Life. Yeah, just sacrificing yeah. life in general. And, the catalyst for me was actually a good mate of mine who was working with at the time called Dave Taylor, who was um British uh, para guy who um, had left Afghanistan 
and he'd had enough as well. He'd been there a lot longer than me. Um, and he'd come back to do one more, you know, just the old one more. <laughs> one more rotation. Just one more. Yeah, and he came back and uh, was on another project, but for, this, but for Global as well. And we were actually both supposed to take clients to the, up to the north somewhere. And um, we ended up um, driving, I think, because weather conditions were no good. They ended up flying, and uh, on the way back, they had a mountain. And everyone was killed. Crashed. Yeah, including him Fuck and another guy from that, from, from Global as well. So I was like, Fuck, you know, and uh, that was my decided to pull. Up, cool. Yeah, decided to pull the pin. Life's too short. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Might be fun at the start and then, fuck, you start yeah. to realise it. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, that's, that's a different podcast, yeah. mate. Um, yeah, right. So you, you figure out that you want to do something else. What, what's on the, what's on the horizon? Like, is there any- There was nothing, to be honest, mate. I just, I just knew up. I didn't want to be there anymore, you know? Yep. Um, yep. Um, save, is, is save your cash? Yeah. Yeah. And the US dollar was strong in those days too, mm. you know, mm. almost two to one for that New Zealand peso. It's fucking almost still is, yeah. Yeah. So um, that was good coin. And, um, New Zealand pays up. <laughs> <laughs> so I got out of there. I could, never, I could never understand how you could fly from the most desolate, war-torn shithole on the planet and two and a half hours later you're in Dubai and everything's Peachy. covered right. in gold and you're drinking champagne out of a crystal flute in the business class lounge at Emirates, you know? No, it's wild, isn't it? Two and a half hours. But yeah, not a bit of not a better feeling though than getting on that A three eighty or a ride. Fuck, down the back in the bar. Just, just a, a quick little story. I'm sure you experienced it. You know, flying with Emirates or whatever into Afghanistan, and as soon as it lands, they all stand up, and the hosties just stand there, just going, "Yeah, oh, we can't tell these yeah. Afghan men to sit down. They'll flog us." To start off with, but they'll they'll lose their shit, so they just stand up. Like yeah. the plane's still like yeah, yeah. just just landing, yeah. and they're standing up. I can remember, yeah, I can remember experiencing that on descent, and they'll all be in the aisle, like <laughs> like they need to get first out. <sighs> Fucking wild, just no, no concept of anything. No one. I remember leaving Afghan. Shit. I remember leaving Kabul once, and for some reason, you check your bag, and, and then you go out the tarmac, and your bags will would all be lined up on the tarmac, and then you have to go and pick your own bag up and put it in back into the hold in, mm. the, in the aircraft. <laughs> I was like, not too sure what we're achieving here, but anyway, I'll do it. And I remember this little fucker next to me was trying to squeeze past me and get his bag in there first. I remember, I remember he was under my armpit. I remember squashing his head against the fuselage with my elbow. <laughs> Fuck. But but it didn't even it didn't blink an eyelid. No, it's just all part of the <laughs> the hustle and bustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking madness. That's why that country's going to shit and will always be shit. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I always said the day the Americans leave, it'll revert back to how it was within within five minutes. It fucking did ten days. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, mates. Um, again, so you've you've decided uh, contracting's uh, fuck contracting. It's, it's well, not- actually, what happened? I, I I um I meant to say that when we we're in Afghanistan, I got shoulder tapped um from some other mates over there as well. To uh, go to South America and look after a rock band, and um, that was my introduction to to the celeb life, to the well, to rock the and roll, rock and roll, yeah. yeah. And who who was this rock band? Metallica, yeah. <laughs> Not just any rock band. Well, yeah, I didn't realize how big they were though, because I was never really a metalhead, you know. Yeah, 
Um, just the biggest in the world ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ever, you know. It's like ACDC, Metallica. Yeah, so one minute I'm in Kabul, the next minute I'm in Guadalajara, and um, looking at a photo of um, Lars Ulrich on my phone, because I didn't know what he looked like, and I was about to pack him up off of the private plane. Oh, yeah? And I was like, how is this? Where is he? I couldn't find him. I thought, shit, I've lost my, lost my client already. The other guys on the team had already picked up. The other guys in the band had walked outside. And then um, found him eventually. I didn't realise how short he was. You know, I just couldn't see him through the through the throng of people. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, crazy. So yeah. did a tour with South, with, uh, with uh, Metallica on their Death Magnetic tour. Um, good times. Good. Good times. Good. And what? How were they? How were they? Good. Yeah. Good. Just good blokes. Yeah. Just play the show. Get, yeah. How was How was the money? Can, you know, transitioning from I was, the carbo life. There was a good coin. Yeah. On that one. Yeah. Um, it's a shame it didn't actually go on. Didn't didn't become. How um, long was that tour? Uh, mate, it was maybe a month or so. But it was, you know, it was the first foray into that world, you know, and it, and it sort of. And you loved it. Loved it. Yeah. And it was, you know, I was coming to the top, you know, luckily enough. Straight to the top. And, too, and, yeah. and, and made some great contacts. Yep. With, um, with that, we, you know, during your, sorry, this is South America too, so it can be, you know, we've, we've only just done some time there and we know it can be a challenging environment and especially, again, going back to, you know, what, 10 plus years ago, a little bit different, a little bit more loose, I guess. How was it? Yeah, I mean, I mean a lot of those parts of South America, you know, Central America, third world, right? I remember um, we were in uh, Guatemala and um, we arrived at the, and the motorcade arrived at the at the stadium, and um, all of a sudden we got held up by a paparazzi van that had put put itself in front of us. The police had just disappeared, and got you know enveloped by thousands of, of crazy fans who couldn't get into the venue. Next thing you know, you know, police are firing tear gas, and we finally get inside the venue. And James about to start the first song, and the generator fails, and the place you know. Just erupts. Just goes into dark darkness, you know. And you know, working out how the hell we're going to get out of there in a hurry in the dark. And but I mean, we had things squared away pretty well, and I think they really liked the way we operated. You know. Yeah. Four, five Kiwis. Oh, five Kiwis. Yeah. And what are ex mill cops? Uh, a couple of ex group guys. Yeah. Um, and uh, two or three ex SDG. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. Did you know anyone prior? Yeah, one of them. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um, actually, two of them. Yeah. yeah. So this is your introduction to the entertainment industry. You, you didn't start off with you know some small band. No. You went straight to the top to Metallica. Yeah. And that job finishes month. You're just wanting more. Is, yeah. Is there more popping up? Yeah. Um. Just trying to to think about how the next one came along. Um. I remember. Yeah, I remember um, talking to a contact I'd made on that tour, uh, a South American lady, and I remember her networking for me and and saying to me, you know, there could be some work over here for you if you can get back. I remember pay, paying for my own flight to go back to Sao Paulo, um, t- and I worked with Lincoln Park very briefly. Mm. Um, basically, I was just assisting um, local security like we're using here in yeah, Australia. Yeah. And um, 
so I made more contacts doing that. And I, and I, and I met a guy on, on who was the, one of the security leads on, on Lincoln Park. And we got on quite well. And that would prove to be really, um, you know, really important because I got another introduction to another band after that through him. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That was how, well, that's how I got a job was um, with System of a Down. Yeah, right. So yeah. this is... This uh, guy had done work for, for, for Surge Tank in previously, and he couldn't do it any longer, and so he recommended me. Yeah, right. And so well, this is 2000... Uh, maybe 11 by 11. this point. So and this is Systems in full swing now. In those days? Yeah. They'd sort of, they'd already sort of... Um, done their main stuff. Yeah, they'd already, they'd already sort of... That's uh, what I mean, like they're in their full fucking, full swing of... They've done everything. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. kind of they kind of finished um, touring as an as a as glory a, as a band. Yeah, yeah. They, yep. I think they're. I mean, they're still popular. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, fuck. But I, they, that's what I listen to. You know, they were massive in the early two thousands, right? Mm. Um, but they were they were doing sort of piecemeal touring, nothing too big, and they didn't hadn't put out another album. And um, but yeah, this guy that I'd met on um, after paying my way to Sao Paulo, he recommended me to search. And said like the idea because I was a Kiwi, and he'd just um, moved to New Zealand a part of the year. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah, right. So um, he'd, he'd done Big Day Out, I think, in '99, and just loved New Zealand and decided that he wanted to have a house there. And uh, never forget the first time I met him was in uh, Edmonton, Canada. I turned up there and um, I was on the tour bus, and the first thing he did was pull out his um, his passport and show me. Uh, that, that he's got a he's had Kiwi, Kiwi uh, residency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, and and um, we've been friends ever since. How long were you with uh, System of Downfall? Well, every time they toured, I'd go with them. So I've been with them for ten, eleven years, but they weren't touring a whole lot. Yeah, you know, just um, sporadic. But, but, yeah, sporadic. What once or twice a year type thing? Oh, uh, maybe once a year. Yeah. Well, I, I did several European runs with them. Done Rock and Rio, um, Soundwave through Australia. Because Rock and Rio is massive, massive. They, hit, they headlined Rock and Rio. Did they? You know, years after their last album was released, thousand people. Yeah, madness. Crazy. Fuck. And um, how many guys are we? Are you working for? Like, like obviously, well, it was each, system. Each band member. No, they only had only had me for a start. Oh, did they? Yeah, it was just just you. just me. Yep. Um. But then we did a tour through Europe, um, 2015, and they were going to go back to Armenia um, for the and it was 100 year anniversary of the Armenian genocide. So they um, they sort of upped the ante a wee bit, and I managed to convince them that we needed have four security guys, one for each bloke, one for each bloke. Yeah, um, brought on Fifey actually. Yeah, and um, and 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 Caddy, who's also yep. here with us. Yep. And um, yeah, we went off to went off to Europe. Did had a, had a great time. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. They played a sold out Armenian gig at the year. I think I've, I've watched it on YouTube. In Yerevan, in the in the in the main square, yep. free concert they put on. Incredible, Emo- emotional for those guys. You mm. know, I yeah. mean, it was the first gig they played back in their homeland. Yeah, and you know that that demigods there. You know, again, mate. Back to. The, the job itself, were there any times where anything happened? Oh, you know, the, nothing ever really significant happens. You know, the, it's it's rare, you know, to look at 
Ariana Grande in Manchester, yeah. stuff like that. You know, obviously that didn't happen, but you know, rare stuff. Maybe an overzealous fan that yeah. was hiding in a fucking in a tour bus. No, it which has happened. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had any of that for me, but I mean, I mean, for the most part, it's it's rock and roll. You know what I mean? It's crowd management. It's it's doing your homework. It's doing all your recce's right. But I remember being in Europe with System and. I think the Ariana Grande bombing had happened and, and then the Bader Clan assault mm. um, was yep. around the same time, right? Yeah. So I remember the anti being upped a lot in those days. Had, yeah. Just just on that, how, like how did it affect, you know, you're working at this stage, how did it affect the artist? Oh, yeah, I can remember um, uh, Serge coming to me and sort of questioning what, what, you know, did they need to be there, you know? Oh, did he? Yeah. So they would like second guess. Yeah, definitely. You know, he, and he had a young boy, young family. He's like, mate, is this worth it? Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, right. And I think one of the festivals we were supposed to play at, some guy had had been screened and had, had had connections to some terrorist organization. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can remember having meetings with management saying we need to, we need to really turn it up here. Which you is know? fair. Yeah, absolutely. Because you just don't know when. But they were good. They respected my my uh, my views opinion, and yeah. my opinion, and and being the safety security yeah. matter expert. Yeah, and uh, they paid for me and um, my mate to go and advance every country, which was not done in those days a whole lot. Mm. You know, a lot, a lot of bands haven't got the budget for security, let alone advancing as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think uh, a lot of people tend to figure out there that you know they pay people like you and me. To keep them alive and keep the show rolling. That's right. I mean, we're the insurance policy that, that a lot of people don't want to pay the premiums for, right? Mm. But, you know, you, you don't need it until you need it. Fuck. Then you, you know, who, who would have thought Ariana Grande's concert yeah. had a suicide bomber? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just all that uh, rock band and the batter clean. Yeah, right. Come through and just shoot it up. Yeah. AK-47s, aren't they? Yep. Okay. So just hosing oh, everyone down. Just, that's mental. I remember when that happened, it was just yeah. fucking wild. So you spend uh, what, 10 years on and off with System. Yeah. You become and good mates. With, you become pretty good friends. Obviously, you form a relationship with these guys. Yes. I mean, and Serge is a special guy, you know. He's a, he's a lovely human being, one of the nicest people I know. Got a place in New Zealand, so having that connection really helps, right? And he's down there, would certainly tries to be down there for half of the year. Doesn't always work out that way, but we've stayed um, in touch, obviously, and become really good friends. I've stayed with him in LA, and he's come and stayed at my place and where I live. Oh, is he? Yeah, just downtown Napier. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> yeah. That's wild, isn't it? You came down uh, a couple of years ago when Elton John was playing at the Mission down there, Mission concert. Yeah, and um, Serge and Elton have got a mutual friend, and um, so. We went along to the gig and, and Serge was like, Dust, do you want to go backstage and meet Elton John? I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess so. And, and um, so we go backstage and Elton John waddles out. <laughs> hey, Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> but we were there with, you know, Serge's family and a few others and we sort of lined up and got off his golf cart, shook our hands and, you know, it was just so, I don't know, <laughs> How you doing, big boy? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, 
He's a legend, though. Yeah, Obviously, absolutely. His music. I love his music. I, I do. I do listen to his music. Yeah, absolute legend. Yeah. Oh yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, but, but it was so, um, you know, fleeting and it almost felt like it was a chore for him. You know what I mean? So yeah. it wasn't exactly a yeah, you know, a really memorable experience. But whatever. Yeah. But still, yeah, he, hanging out with Serge yeah. from System of the Down. Yeah, and, he, and then he crashes at your place. Yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> he's a millionaire. He can you know stay in the the Ritz or wherever, but he's just yeah. hanging out in Dusty's. Yeah. Oh, you know? I got a pretty nice place though. Yeah, I'm sure you do, <laughs> but it's no Ritz. <laughs> Especially you know, yeah, fuck, it's wild, isn't it? Yeah, it just shows you the type of person I suppose he is. Oh, he's a good man. Yeah. He's such a good man. So yeah. down to earth. How are the other guys? They're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're interesting characters. They're, tal- they're talented fucking people. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. Yeah. You know, um, the different guys. Uh, during this, uh, you know, I guess few years, are you mo- jumping in? Obviously, there's a lot of time off. What are you doing? Other clients? Other, yeah, I had other, other gigs. Other gigs and, and um, um, looked after Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit and Oh, did you? Yeah, done a yeah. turn with him. How long ago was that? Oh, mate, I don't even know now. He's gone all cowboy now. I yeah, think that yeah. last toy's wearing cowboy stuff. Maybe 16 or 17. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did a tour of them with him through Europe. Yeah. How were that? How were Limp Bizkit? Yeah, all right. Cool. Yeah. They're um, all dudes now. They're fine. Yeah, no, no one's young anymore. Yeah, no. But um, I, met, man, I, met him in a, I met him in a steam room in, in, uh, in, in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> all oh, did you? Yeah. And um, I was there with System. And um, and they were playing the same festival, on oh, same hotel, same hotel, and yeah, and um, I just got yelling to him in the in the in the, uh, in the steam room, and he goes, uh, "My security guard's real shit." Oh, is that what he yeah, said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? I don't even know. Now. Sixteen. I don't even know. And he goes, uh, "Do you want to come on tour?" I'm like, okay. Well, they sacked the other like, bloke and, and just a, took, took a, you on. I got a, I got a phone call from his manager. Um, Maybe the, the following year when they were, went went on tour. Yeah. Did he reach out to Serge and say, "Oh, this bloke good to go?" I don't. I don't recall. Probably, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Right. That's fucking wild. Wasn't the conflict of interest though? <laughs> In a steam room. Yeah. Um. Come on, mate. Name drop a couple more. Oh. Any any you, you've done some executive stuff as well. Yeah, I've done. It's a different ball game. Yeah. Looked after Al Gore briefly in New Zealand. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um. Very, very briefly. Just down, like to, he's very old. Down there for a um, conference or whatever it was. Yeah. Keynote speaker. Um, I made up, I've done a tour with Paramore, um, Fallout Boy. Yeah. Um, a DJ called Dead Mouse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Toured okay. with him. He's talking to me like I don't know these names. Dead Mouse is pretty big. It's like Metallica, mate. No, yeah, I had no idea. No who idea. Was. Yeah. No. Mate, it's funny you say that. I didn't know who were. Um, Steve Aoki was, I met him, Nitro Circus, he came to a show and he invited us back afterwards for a, a set he was playing in Vegas somewhere. And uh, with Nitro, they got the big slide, big, uh, I wouldn't say slide, big ramp. It's called the Gigana and they ride down. But Travis Pastrana takes people down on, you know, like a sack or a blanket to slide down and just, Obviously, the Asian dude walks up to me with long hair. We've got to get him to sign a waiver. So if they fall off, at least sign the waiver. I'm like, hey, mate, uh, who are you? He goes, oh, uh, I'm Steve. 
oh, sweet Steve, mate, just sign this paperwork. Signs it, and I'm like, fuck, I've got no idea who this bloke is. Go back to the, the change room and all the writers, you know, they're massive DJ fans. and like, do you know who that was? I'm like, no fucking idea, mate. That's, that's Steve Aoki. I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't know. No idea, mate. And then obviously we went to his after party afterwards where he's sat, and I'm like, fuck, this, this dude must be big. He's like one of the biggest DJs in the world, I think, isn't he? I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I had no idea either. No fair. Mate, mate, the DJs uh, were at that, though, I tell you. Like touring with the DJ. They kill it, huh? yeah. But, mate, they go to all the best places. They, they shut the laptop at the end of the night, walk off the stage. It's probably all pre-recorded too, isn't it? And, and, uh, and you're staying at, yeah. It's just mate, talking up an iPod. Mate, we're in the uh, yeah, Melfi Coast and, and, and uh, the old guards. With Dead Mouse. With Dead Mouse and Ibiza and. Best, best place flying flying um, charter charter plane. Did you, do you do, uh, prefer doing the celebs stuff over execs or high high net worth? I think so. Yeah, a bit more going on, eh? It is. Yeah, less less pretense typically. That, yeah, I think the, the execs are, I guess, scheduled. You, yeah, you know, especially when they're old, you know, they're in bed by seven. Yeah. so there's a lot of time off. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, they're not going to wake up three a.m. in the morning and want to yeah. go fucking night clubbing or. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Travis Pastrana, if you're listening, mate, call me at three o'clock in the morning, go somewhere. Bloody hell, mate. I've had that before, too. I did a tour with Nickelback but all the way through Europe oh, 10, yeah. for 10 weeks. Far out. Late nights there. Were they? Party animals. Oh, the, the one bloke, yeah. Yeah. Mate, um, anyone else? Who, who else we got? You've got a pretty extensive resume within the, yeah. the yeah. entertainment world. Honestly, you don't realise how. How extensive it is until you start trying to remember. Um, a lot of the stuff I just forget about. Um, mate, one of the nicest blokes ever, though, is uh, is Hugh Jackman. You're Aussie. Oh, you're Aussie, mate. The boy from Oz, mate. What a Wolverine. Oh, what a what a what a lovely yeah, guy. Yeah, just a quality human being. Uh, so yeah, did a bit of a tour through Aussie with him for his Greatest Showman um, tour. You know. Yeah. Just. Just. Just a good man. Down to earth. Yeah. Down to earth, just your regular Aussie. Yeah. Aussie battle. Yeah, mate, he just gets, he just, he just gets it. He just gets it. He gets people. He values people. Um, I tell the story a lot because it, it, yeah, I'm just so fond of the man, but every Friday or whatever it was, he'd bring around a, a uh, stack of scratchy cards and, you know, there might have been 150 cast and crew and he'd give everyone a... He, Personally, deliver scratchy card to, to you. It's so a lousy thing to do. There you go, Maddie. Love your work, brother. Yeah. There you go, Dusty. Mate, keep up Small the good things, work. Small Love your work. You know, I appreciate you. Next person. Who does that? You know? Yeah. He just really gets it. Especially as who he is. Yeah. Big superstar. Yeah. He's a, he is a superstar. Yeah. Mate, celeb. just a quality guy. Yeah, right. You've got a pretty extensive resume. Is there anyone where... You know, for me, it's the same, mate. You work with celebrities and it doesn't, you know, we see the effect that these celebrities or these people have on some people. You know, we've seen it in the crowds. You know, they'll they'll cry for three hours straight or they get a, a guitar pick or a whatever and they lose their fucking minds. Is there anyone where you're just like, fuck, that's, that's, that's Muhammad Ali, you know, type thing. That's That's Mike Tyson. Yeah, I know. Because well, we talked about the other day, we, we you know, did, our yeah. list, you know, who, who would like to go have 
dinner with type thing? I mean, there's, there's people you'd like to have dinner with, but there's no one I'd really sort of fawn over or, you know, certainly queue up to buy a ticket for. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. No one, certainly no one I've come in, into contact with. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think the Anzacs are pretty similar in that respect. We don't really buy into the celebrity culture too much, you know? No. Um, and I, I suppose being around all these people all the time, it, you, you do become a bit desensitised to it, you know? Yeah, I, that's probably the biggest thing. You just become... You, I remember being in Auckland and, um, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen was in town playing with the East Street Band and he mm. had Tom Morello as a special guest. And um, Serge had good mates with Tom Morello and he, unbeknown to me, um, at the time, but he, he uh, Serge gives me a call and says, "Hey, bro, um, come up to my place tomorrow because he lives um out of Auckland, and would you call by the the hotel and pick up a mate of mine?" And I'm like, okay, sweet. I said, "What's his name?" He goes, "Oh, it's Tom. His name's Tom." I'm like, "Pull up in my old car." <laughs> what type of car is it? <laughs> what is it? I've got an E H Holden. E H Holden, sixty four classic, sixty four E H Holden, right? I pull up outside the Langham Hotel in my Holden, and uh, I'm like looking around the the lobby, going, "Is there a Tom here somewhere?" And, and, uh, and of course, it's Tom Morello who comes and jumps in the, the front seat of my car, and I said, "Oh, mate, I'm here to pick you up, and we're going to go up to Serge's place." He goes, "Oh, sweet!" So jumps in the car and take her up to his place for the day, go to the beach. Still no idea who he is. I know he is now, yeah. and I've met him several times since. Yeah, of course. But I had no no concept of who he was at the time. Yeah. You know, I didn't. So he's chatting in the car, just, yeah. just Serge's mate. Yeah. Hey, mate, how's the weather? I, I, knew, like, I knew he was obviously with, in the Bruce Springsteen band, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I didn't yeah. realise he was, um, you know, one of the key guys from Rage. Yeah. A lovely guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, I think for the people that don't know you, I know you now. I can see that. You know what I mean? Just, hey, mate, yeah, <laughs> weather's good. <laughs> oh, did you see that bird? <laughs> yeah, classic, mate. Yeah, yeah. Far out. Yeah. What a, what a what a career, what a life. Yeah. yeah um, just actually, just sorry, just back to that question where I, um, we spoke about, I think it was yesterday. Obviously, we get quite bored sometimes. I want to say bored, we, you know, we're just – Typical blokes just just flapping, hover and wait, right? Just yeah, just flapping flapping our mouths, and we've got some questions. Sometimes, I think one we said, you know, who who are the three people you'd sit down with dinner? Like, who would you? I think we agreed on Mike Tyson. Yeah, I, Mike Tyson, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, the other one for me was Stephen Fry, the English comedian. Yep. Um, he's in, just an incredible intellect. Yeah. Um, yeah, just an amazing guy. I think. Um. Uh, I can't remember what my third one was now. Maybe someone like Michael Jordan or yeah, just you know, or Muhammad Ali. You wouldn't get starstruck either, would you? You'd be just like, "Hey, mate, yeah. how's, how's the weather? <laughs> <laughs> Check out that bird." <laughs> yeah, classic, mate, classic. Um, which obviously leads you to the, the you know the current day, mate. Um, last few years. Yeah, well, I got a. Um, I'll just back up a wee bit. I've got some friends with a with a um, high end travel company in New Zealand, and they um, basically plan itineraries for these high rollers that come out of the states mostly. Um, 
and they utilize my services not so much in a security role but more logistical support you know and um so i've met some really good clients doing that work for them um yeah can't name them really but they get a lot of real yeah. high-end people coming from the from the u.s on their private planes and to New Zealand. To New Zealand. They'll yeah. stay at all their exclusive lodges and spend a fortune. Um, and they've got a great company um, called Seasons Seasons Travel. Give them a wee plug. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just really good guys and, and care about what they're doing. And, and um, yeah, they give me um, work every now and again when, when the client justifies it. They want to make sure that their experiences are as seamless and, you know, um, and, and good as possible, basically. What do you act as like a what, driver slash? No, nah, not driving. Um, just just, uh, they call it guiding, but it's yeah. really yeah, I'm there as uh, a bit of safety, security, yeah. consultancy, yeah, logistical support, really, yeah, and making sure that you know everything's on time. Helicopters are flying when they should be, yeah. Um, that things are ready for their arrival. Stuff that you and I do every day yeah, in our job, yeah. Um, um, just less the less the risk, really, less yeah. the threat. Yeah, of course. Um. And as a consequence of working for them, I met a um, an Asian family from Hong Kong, and they ended up inviting me back to to look after um, their family in Hong Kong. So, 2015, I went over there, and that was a eye opener too. You know, just extreme wealth, like next level wealth, just billionaires, his and whose yeah. private planes. Um, you know, they had two of them. I think they wanted three super yachts. He owned a building downtown Hong Kong where he had four levels of luxury vehicles. And yeah. you're looking after them? Yeah. One of? That was just only me. Only you? Yeah. So I, I flew, initially they said, come over for a meeting. So they flew me to Hong Kong business class. As an interview. Picked me up in a Rolls Royce Phantom. Um, put me up in a six-star hotel. Had an interview. Negotiated a, a salary and some other conditions. And then I, I um, moved over a couple of months later. So did that for a year. Um, and while I was doing that, um, I, um, yeah, so not long after being there, um, they were, the couple that I was looking after just, um, weren't married. So they were going to get married in Rome, in Italy. And um, so they sent me to Rome to, uh, to advance all the locations. And um, just incredible, like they'd booked out the two best hotels in Rome. Um, and then when the wedding um, date arrived, I actually pulled in five feet to give me a hand. So the two of us went over there. And um, it was next level. It was like a, it was a three-day wedding extravaganza, basically. Um, the first night was held at this um, outdoor sort of um, – like a movie set almost, and mm. Rosalini had built it um, for his for his people back in the forties. They're trying to gain favour. Was like a was like being in a in, in ancient Rome. There was all these colosseums and pillars, and there's all these actors there with um, who had you know roles, whether they were herding geese or riding camels, or you know there was gladiators walking past, and um, there was soldiers walking past. You know, marching, marching through this area, and it was all this big red carpet, sort of led your way through to this other area where they had their dinner, and then Missy Elliott played, you know, after dinner, and the next day, 
um, was the wedding proper, and they had this huge banquet in this, in this Italian palace, um, which was ancient in itself, and there was still a cannonball sitting in the stairs that had been fired by the French you know, hundreds of years ago, and a huge banquet dinner, and people that put on the whole wedding had just done George Clooney's wedding, you know, so that was the sort of level we're talking about. Yeah, They had, yeah. A, they had a 40-piece orchestra playing movie soundtracks. Just, yeah. There was no expense spared, yeah. right? And then the third day um, was at an outdoor area in an ancient lake where they used to service the ships back in back in those days. And um, they flew in a uh, some Americans to 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 um, make southern fried chicken from New Orleans. And then um, Bruno Mars turned up and he played an hour and a half. Bullshit. True story. Yeah, mate. Next level. Next level. What does it cost to fly Bruno Mars out? Do you know? Have to be a couple hundred grand. I think it was more than that. I think it was more than that. Yeah. But again, money to burn. It just, yeah, three days extravaganza. The guy guy that we're looking after, he would have made that money before breakfast. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Well, so just without going too deep, was he like an investor or something? Or He he called himself a mini Goldman Sachs. Oh. Yeah, whatever that means. Yeah. But he had his finger a lot of pies. Yeah, of course. He had racehorses and, and he had- beef. I've got one for sale. <laughs> <laughs> I, think the, I think the glue factory would take that one. <laughs> Fuck, if he doesn't win next week, yeah, he will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, and um, then I went away and did a system um, during that year as well. I got leave and I went to um, Rio and did Rock and Rio with system. Yep, yep. And while I was doing that, I got Fifey to come in for me and, and cover for me in whole call. Um, and then, as it turned out, the, the mother of the child that I was kind of protecting because of the kidnapping risk, which exists in Hong Kong, where these gangs from mainland yeah, China of course, come across, extortion. and they grab the kids yeah. and they take and, and they they pay it real quick, yeah. apparently. Of course, yeah. So that was that was end up being my role, but it meant I had to deal with the fucking mother. I was nuts. Yeah, absolute um, cuckoo. Yeah, um, you know, living on prescription pills and and. Would go missing for a week, and and it just it was untenable. So I, I ended up leaving after a year, but I was able to put Fifey in place to do that do that job. Yeah, gotcha. And he say he's been there for the last seven years. Oh shit! Until he just finished recently to come and do this gig. Yeah. Oh fuck. And where did you you moved into? Just back to I went back to NZ system. Bit of yeah. Bit of this, that, bit of that. Yeah, and just carried on with the rock and roll stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. Fucking hell! And obviously led you to. Uh, the current day, I met you a few months ago, and uh, yeah, mate, we're currently touring now on another client. Yeah, good times. It is good times. It it's is. all about people, though, eh? It's who you're with. It, it, it 100% yeah. it does. Just just quickly, before I crack on with you know the last final couple of questions, I guess this, this question more pertains to, you know, I, I do get a lot of messages uh, throughout my Instagrams, both my personal and, um, and I'm sure you probably get them on LinkedIn or even through your personals. How do you get into the industry? You know, what, what advice can you give to people to that are out there listening? I know there was an STG bloke that reached out to me and wants to get into the private security side of things. You know, what can you, what do you recommend people do? Oh, mate. I mean, I had the, I guess the, the advantage or the, you know, the good fortune to go through the policing channels, I suppose, and, um, you know, things worked out for me there with the STG, and also did my, you know, diplomatic protection 
training as well before I left. So I had, I had those formal qualifications, which, you know, helps a lot, right? But at the end of the day, I think this, this job more than, more than ever is about relationships, right? And if you, if you're good at, you know, furnishing and cultivating relationships, that's, that's the key thing for me. And, you know, security's perception, right? So for the, a lot, a lot of it's perception for me. So you, you've got to, you've got to look the part. You've got to be professional. hundred percent. You've got to, you got to, you know, you've got to be timely. You've got to be um, on point. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think now. What would make a difference to somebody who was, who was looking at the industry? Um, I think, I don't know. I think, I think guys can still come from the dormant kind of. 100% they can. You know, um, uh, backgrounds. At the end of the day, you've got to be able to converse. You know, you've got to be able to converse. And it's, it's not all shits and giggles either, you know. There's a lot of downtime, a lot of waiting around. Mm. Um, you gotta, you gotta get used to being bored. Oh yeah, definitely, you know? definitely. No different to being in the army yeah. or the cops. Yeah, it's plenty of time for that. Yeah, and then you, but you also, you also gotta, you gotta, you gotta value the guy that's on the door for you. Yeah, uh, as much as, as much as the guy who's the PSD team leader. Yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly. Um, and some advice that's been given to me over the years is that you know that that guy that's in the barricade, that guy that's on twenty one dollars an hour. He wants to be in your job. 100%, mate. He wants your job. 100%. You know? He, he would give anything to be doing what you're yeah. doing. Um, so look after them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You'll, you'll see this when we get to the venue, this venue that we're playing at. A lot, I know a lot of the guards, and it's because I, I thank them every time. Mm. I, every time I come to this venue, I thank them every time because I know that they've been in the job for some of these guys, this guy that I ran into today, Today, he's been there for 14 years. Yeah, right. And he's just, you know, he's, I think he's from, I'm pretty sure he's from Afghanistan or Iraq or something. Oh, really? But he's so good. Yeah. Just thorough. Yeah. And, you know, it's, for me, it's not just about our protection team or our venue team or whatever. These guys are our extra security, you know, they're, they're our, we look after them, they're going to help us in the long run, you know, so I think, um, Mate, That's right. But what you said was everything was is, is exactly right. It's all about communication. Yeah, being smart. Yeah, is, is a big thing. You know, these days, you know, some moving into, I guess, the executive or probably the 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 real PSD hostile environment stuff. You need the the courses under your belt, all the military or police history to give you that ticket yeah. box. Sometimes it's an insurance thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you know, also fitness. I think if you're out there and you're a security guard, even on the barricade, and you're not into fitness, I don't think you should be in the position to be a security guard. Honestly, same as the police and military. If you're not, yeah, that's the way I see it. Grinding in the gym, mate, you should, or maintaining some basic level of fitness, not only for the job, for your own life. It's uh, it bewilders me sometimes. You know, I love a drink. I love, I love my KFC. Yeah. But I'll, I'll get in the gym and try and burn it off. Well, yeah. I mean, as I said, to you, a lot of security's perspective, um, perception, right? So, um, looking the parts, are, you know, you're halfway there. Yeah, exactly right. You know, mate, fucking cracking story. <laughs> That's this is the life of uh, Aguaman. He's, yeah. he's meanwhile he's sipping on a bottle of water. Agua, uh, Agua. <laughs> there's a, there's a bit of a backstory behind this, and I guess I'll probably explain it to a few people one day. Um, 
once we're off this gig. But mate, uh, I wasn't the only one, mate. Was it was part of a team that would, that would pull in their way. You're the one that went TikTok famous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kids today, eh? Kids in kids in TikTok. Fuck, mate, we're all over it now. You can't, you can't, again, can't non- move. Non-stop. But uh, mate, cracking like. Um, it's 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 really good, as I said, mate. We formed quite a pretty good relationship, uh, you know, having fun and you know the, the people we get to walk around with are pretty, pretty big people uh, on the enter- entertainment scheme of things. And to hear your background, mate, and where you come from is you know just another piece to the puzzle and understanding, especially for me, you know, understanding where you come from. And again, I haven't had too many. I don't think I've had any New Zealand cops on, I'm pretty sure. I think you'd be the first. Um, and I'm definitely keen for more. You know, I'd love to – again, mate, obviously with the Christchurch, you know, I've referenced it a few times now. It's I was only there a week week after. Right, yeah. I was, we were doing a gig and we were considering cancelling the gig, but pretty much everyone, you know, even the community said, no, you've got to do this. Mm. This will be great for You're right. for, for the for the people type thing, so we end up going ahead with it. No. But again, that – for the, for me being the security guy, I'm like fuck. My yeah. risk, obviously, this was against the, the Islamic faith, um, so the you know the threats were out there at that stage. So it fucking turn me on uh, in regards to you know just going crazy yeah. risk assessments. But uh, mates, just to tie off the podcast, couple of final questions, mate. First question kind of ties on with that security question, you know, what advice can you give to people just to keep on keeping on, complete any goal they set their mind to and just to crush it in life? Yeah, I mean, we've all done things, you know, that, that appear really daunting, you know, and, and as a whole, but I think when you just break it down and, and just put one foot in front of the other and, you know, as they say, how do you need an elephant? One bite at a time, you know, mm. and not to look too far ahead and, and think about being overwhelmed by by any particular situation, but you know, with anything I've done, I think you just you just start the process and you just tick the boxes as you go along, and all of a sudden, you know, you've completed it. Um, and I, I think in today's world, you know, we live in this environment now where people want instant gratification, and and it doesn't work like that sometimes. You know, you just got to just got to knuckle down and do what you got to get done, one one day at a time. Mm. You know. Probably for something very generic, but no, not really, mate. Yeah. It's, it's it's correct, mate. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I'll just throw in a my two cents. You know, appreciate life again, mate. You go back to that time and you view in Afghanistan. Your mate plane crashes into yeah. the, you know, into the, and obviously you lost a cop back in the, you know, in the police. It it kind of makes you realise what's important in life. Yeah, totally. Obviously, money is great. Touring the world is great, but there's only so much you can do of it. Well. And, uh, yeah, mate, fuck, just enjoy life. Yeah. And, you know, I guess it's the reason, like us, again, we have fun. Yeah, you got to have fun. Like we, even when it's, there's a down and everyone's sad or morale's low, we're like, fuck it, let's just try and pick it up and have a laugh. Take the piss and, a wee bit, take, eh? take the piss and just enjoy it. Mate, yeah. uh, second question, what's the plans for the future? Can't do this forever, mate. No, nah, I mean, um, that's a good question. You know, I've got a little girl uh, at home, and and I don't want to miss out on her life either. You know, so I didn't really intend to be doing this as long as I have. Um, so maybe this might be the last 
the last one. Last hurrah. But, you know, you just never say never, do you? <laughs> just one more. Just one more. Just a surgical call next year. Yeah. Just dusty. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. Um, maybe short stints might, might be better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Short one month. We, we, might, have a, things, we yeah. might have a big run ahead of us, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, it could be challenged, but yeah. I don't know. I'll just take it as it comes. Never say never. Yeah. Never say never. Nah. Maybe just get a regular job, maybe a butcher or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think I'd struggle, you know? Yeah. Well, not, I'm not. It's, I'm not used. Not used to setting the alarm. I guess that's one of those. Um, this kind of moves into the mental health side of things, and losing your identity just quickly, mate. Like, how did you feel? You know, spending twelve years in the cops and then moving into the security world was it? It's kind of. I wouldn't say a smooth transition, but it's. It's like you're just getting back into it. If you know what I mean. Like, it's not really. You left your job. As a cop, but you're still playing with the guns. Yeah, still doing security. Yeah, so wasn't. So this is where I think you might. Oh, I wouldn't say your struggle, but I oh, definitely. Let's just say you stop. Let's say you stop. I'm. This is where I'm at as well, and I'm thinking about slowing up a little bit on the world stuff. I know for a fact that I'm going to struggle. Not struggle, but I'm just going to go. Fuck! I've lost my purpose. My. Well, that's the thing, right? I and do and this for. And the thing is, though, is that we. You don't want to be defined by what you're doing, you know. Mm. And and I learned that a long time ago, you know. Um, when I I remember distinctly when I realised that I wasn't going to be an all black, and it took me a long time to get over that the realization that I wasn't going to be, you know, uh, the thing I suppose or, or do the thing that I that I had always wanted to be or to do. Um, and once I realised that I'm not going to be defined by whether or not I'm an all black, it was like a it was like a release, honestly. It was, the weight was off the shoulders, you know. Yeah. And I think I've taken that that attitude with whatever I've done. Um, and and you don't want to be defined by, you know, being mm. the big security guy who's worked with mm. celebrities all your life, you know. Um, and I think once we once we let go of that, once we detach from that, then it makes your your decision making process a lot easier to do something else, yeah. potentially, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you know, even the day you're gonna do whatever spins your wheels. You know, if you're having a good time and and having fun and and you find it challenging and you're valued as a as a as a employee, then then you you know doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, mate. Uh, third question: Tell us something about you that people don't know. Go on, outside of everything I know about you now. What's what's your dirty little secrets? <laughs> what you, you probably got fucking donuts under your bed in in your hotel room. No. <laughs> Don't lie, mate. No. I got there. No, um, mate, got left field. Yeah, what what do you got, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. Yeah, what do you do at home when you buy? Oh, well, I don't want to know. <laughs> See, there was a drone flying around. <laughs> it got scared off. It saw Dusty through. <laughs> Mate, tell us, what do you got? Mate, I don't know. Um, Pick your nose and eat it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, food is, yeah, if you got a food, again, mate, fast food. Fuck. No, nah, no. Nah, you nah. put it in front of me, I'll, I'll, I'll bash you. I got, there's a Macca's buddy Uber Eats right there. Yeah, I saw it. See? Yeah. That's last night. Love the dinner takeaways. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Six scoonies in and away you go. <laughs> Straight in. Mate, I don't know. I'm pretty boring in that regard. Chocolate? Nah. Nah. Um, beer. Love, no. a, love a cold beer. Yeah. That's every bloke, though. Nothing. <laughs> what do you reckon? Nothing. Nah. You cry when you watch The Notebook? Maybe. You do. You do. <laughs> do you cry during movies, do you? Nah. Don't nah. lie, mate. Don't. We're all friends here. Mate, no. Craig's listening. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You're enjoying this. What I know is just about to say, what I, know, what I do know is I, I don't enjoy the Toto as much as you do. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you, I like you, it, mate. You love it, but every day I'm just like, whew. You love the, so you love the old Rusty <laughs> Sheriff's beard to get in the spray, eh? <laughs> if anyone out there, uh, we, you know, we've um, did a bit of time in Japan as well, obviously over the years, multiple times, and we're here in Australia, mate. We're in a, in a hotel with one of those. Bum washing toilets. It's amazing. You're mad for it, eh? I love it. Love a clean bum. Yeah. What does that tell you? Oh, yeah, man. Hey? What does that tell you? So there's nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> there's no guilty obsession. No, not really. Cheesecake. I love a cheesecake. Yeah. Eating well on these tours is hard, though, right? Any tours. Yeah. Fucking always hard. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll leave it. Well, I might, I'll come back with that question, I think. Uh, over the next few weeks, yeah, we spend a bit of time together for the next year. So <laughs> get used to it, mate. <laughs> mate, I'll, I'll probably figure out your weird obsession. I was that drone operator, actually. <laughs> I, saw, I saw it, <laughs> mate. Um, <laughs> Lucky you five minutes earlier, boy. <laughs> mate, uh, question number four: favorites, uh, TV show, movie can be cop related. Oh, mate. What are you watching, like, when you're at home? And I, tell you, I enjoyed that. Enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I love Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah. That was good. Big that fan good of that. Um, Ozark. Yep. Superb. Yep. Um, What's your favourite movie? Well, you know, favourite-ish movie. You know, it pops up on Fo- on cable TV, Foxhole, whatever Whatever you got in Cuzzy Land. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Have you even got TVs in Cuzzy Land? <laughs> And he just got power, mate. <laughs> just got power in Napier. <laughs> um, movie. I mean, uh, it'll sound really typical, but I mean, Shawshank Redemption was a great flick, right? Oh, yeah, classic. You know, Braveheart. Classic. You know? Yeah. That was a classic. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, I also love anything by Tarantino. Oh, do you? Yeah. They're a bit- Django was gold. They're just weird. They're weird, but I like—I do like them, but they're just a bit too. I don't know. The, the acting of DiCaprio though, and and, um, and Jamie Fox and, and Django was, he's, he's was a good actor. Jamie yeah. Fox, good actor and singer, obviously. Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street was good. <laughs> was yeah, superb. Yeah, so was Margot Robbie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus! Hey, Aussie's greatest export. Oh. Far out. Mate, uh, fifth grade, I just, just went on a Margot Robbie, like, dreamscape then. Oh. Yeah, far out. Jesus. Uh, fifth question, mate. Um, I'm ask more questions, I need to have a buzz. This is the last one. <laughs> last one. <laughs> I'll pos. <laughs> Flesh and chops. Um, last question, um, favourite song. You know, when you're cruising down the freeway and you're E.H. Holden. Got the Goldilocks hanging out the window. Just oh, mate. Blowing through the air. Um, 
Bruce Springsteen, oh. Ghost of Tom Joad. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah. Right up there. Yeah. yeah. That that was good. Actually, just for listeners, you need to watch that documentary on We Are The World. Is We Are The World? Oh, yeah. Uh, that was the- um, You need to piss. You need to The piss. greatest night in pop. Hurry up. Wasn't it? Don't piss on my toilet seat either. <laughs> don't, don't use my toe yeah, mate. So uh, Bruce Springsteen, and as I said, uh, you recommended to me, didn't you, that uh, d- that documentary? Yeah, what's it called? The Greatest Night in Pop, I think. Yeah, it was. it's that one where they uh, all come together and sing, making the We Are the World. Yeah, great yarn. It is great. It is a great documentary. Like you said, like it's incredible that that, that footage existed, right? And it, I've never it, seen that before. No, no one had like. It's like they held onto it, and someone yeah. just picked up a old SD card. And yeah. Like, oh fuck! We've got all this. Yeah. Getting all those egos in the same room, though, I know, eh? Prince, What mate, a challenge. Prince didn't want to borrow it. He's like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Lionel. Lionel. <laughs> my, my snake wants to come say hi. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, yeah, if, if you're out there and you've got, you got to watch this uh, documentary on – it's on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Netflix. Fucking classic. Yeah. Old Bob Dylan's just cooked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> Wayne, Mate, Wayne uh, and Jennings walking out. Yeah, fucking classic, isn't it? But, Mate, um, for whatever reason, people want to get in contact with you. How can they find you? LinkedIn? LinkedIn, yeah. Yeah. Um, got That's a, probably the best spot. Yeah. Yeah. Got a profile on there, I suppose. Yeah. Inst- you got Instagram? Yeah, I have, yeah. You can find it. Dustin Watts. Dusty Watts. Six. Dusty. Aquaman. Agua. <laughs> Mate, um, again, really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I know it's- uh, Bit, it was a bit left field, but I know a good story when I know one, and you've got one. Oh, appreciate yeah, it. I hope it sticks up. Yeah, mate, it definitely does. Uh, again, mate, it's just you've had one of those um, careers. It's good to show that you've had a career outside of policing, and I think that's what a lot of people struggle with, especially when they leave defence or policing, uh, you know, first responder, paramedics, or even prisons, etc. Oh. They think they can't do anything after that life, but there is plenty of options out there and, you know, not that um, policing leaves you with it too much or probably leaves you a bit more than what the military does. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, you, there's, there's still there's still downtimes in our industry, right? There's still times when you've got to plug for work and you've, yeah. got, to, you've got to network oh, hard. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and can't be afraid of that either, you know? Yeah. And as I've done a couple of times, I've even paid for flights to get to places, you know? Yeah. Just to just – to, um, Make it happen. Make it happen. And to, to, to networking. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things about this job is yeah. networking. Because, you know, how many times have you rocked up somewhere and they're like, oh, yeah, we need three blokes. Do you know anyone? Yeah. yeah that, that's all it is. That's right. Do you know anyone? Oh, yeah, mate. I've got, uh, yeah. I've got two blokes. This job's all about references, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mate, again, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And I guess I'll see you over the next year, probably. Yeah. Been, a, been a pleasure, brother. Been a pleasure. <laughs> all right, brother. Catch ya. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, 
you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour over filter bags, got some merchandise. And just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.